Welcome to The Experience with Bryce Boudreaux. Only the biggest and best names in professional wrestling interviewed right here on The Experience. Follow The Experience on Facebook at The Experience with Bryce Boudreaux. On Instagram at The Experience Live and right here on CastBox. What's up? It's your boy Mikey O from The Experience Studios. Well, Bryce had the chance to sit down and talk to former WCW superstar Crowbar. To watch the full interview, check out the link in the description. Here we go. So we just wait. Oh, man, there he is. You told me to go vertical. This is horizontal, dude. Are you serious? Yes. You got okay. your vertical and horizontal uh, mixed up. <laughs> dude, my bad. This exact this exact thing happened with Jess Neal. I, I told him. I you told said vertical. Him. Vertical was like this. It, it I had, know, it, yeah. I said I had to put the phone like this. So now okay. it's like this. I'm so sorry. Uh, like, I did an interview with Jake Manning, and Jake was like, hey, you need to start telling your guests to put the phone vertical because it won't let you invite someone if the phone is horizontal. So now oh, that's cool. Can... I, I'm, I'm just amazed this is happening. This is cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm so not tech savvy that this is cool. But it, I had the phone going this way, and it was supposed to go that way. So here, here we are. Here we are. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest, former WCW star, Crowbar. How How's are everybody you? doing? How are you? Thanks for having me on, man. Ah, oh, dude. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm very... In awe of, I'm in awe of the tech here. This is awesome. Man, you go live all the time. I thought you were familiar with live. Not <laughs> myself, though. It, you, pull, you pulling me into this thing is cool, so... I haven't gone live that much, a little bit here and there, but you you pulling me into your broadcast, that's awesome. Hey, man, that's what it's all about. Like, it's, it, it's called the experience for a reason. You're experiencing the liveness, the awesomeness of two people. This is like Star Trek stuff. This is awesome. You're saying, I sound old as hell, I, I know. But no, I no, 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 no. You, you, you're saying Star Trek, and you got a clone trooper behind you. Are you a Star Trek guy? Stormtrooper. Stormtrooper. Yeah. So are, are, yeah. are you a Star Wars guy or a big Star Wars guy? Big, big Star Wars guy. Okay. So are you a Star Trek guy too? No. Okay. <laughs> I thought you just Star, Star Trek. Star, Star Trek's for geeks. Okay. Okay. I see it. I see it now. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> so, man, anyway, so recently uh, we saw you. You were doing Rescue Mania, this, this event that's going on up there. Two. Number two. Two. Tell me about Rescue yes. What was Rescue Mania about? Uh, I've, I've always had an idea about how to promote indie wrestling. I just don't have the time to go out and do it myself. I'm a big family guy, wife, two kids, love my family to death. I have a business. I have a physical therapy business. Thank God we're very successful. Very, very busy. Uh, last year, a friend of mine was also a patient uh, from the – Rutherford Fire Department, uh, Craig Scott, he said, I always see up on your Facebook, you're always doing these shows here or there, and uh, we really need a fundraiser this year. Can we do it? And I said, yeah, but uh, my name's going to be attached to it. We got to do it right. I, I don't like to half-ass things. I like them to go really, really well. Uh, and I always give people this speech, and I'm not preaching to anybody out there, but I've done <laughs> independent shows loaded with talent and fly-ins and hotel fares and they've drawn nothing 
and I've done shows with nothing but local talent, some of the talent so-so, and they've sold the house out. And it all comes down to local grassroots promoting. Uh, and that's huge these days. People don't realize there's so much wrestling between the network and uh, the other channels out there. There's so much free wrestling on TV that you got to promote and you got to get those people into the building to experience your show. A lot of people hang a few posters. Some people don't even do that. They just put a few Facebook things up there, which I do. That's all part of it. But you need a grassroots movement. You got to assemble a marketing promoting team. One or two people can't do it. And uh, I laid out what I thought needed to be done in the air area. I said, if you do A, B, C, X, Y, and Z, and maybe a little LMNN, you're going to sell this out. Uh, two shows, the first one sold out, turned people away at the door. Uh, this past Sunday, we came very close to selling out on football Sunday in the fall. Uh, it was a great show, and it was all just uh, grassroots promotion. We returned to family-friendly entertainment, who I've been told many, many times, I've said that that's a great market that nobody's hitting out there, and everybody left, oh, that stuff's dead, that's passe, it'll never get over it, it it'll never draw up. People are more jaded, they're more jaded, they're more serious, they want to see the extreme, the hardcore, the flips, the strong style, and all that stuff is great. If When I broke in way back when, I was the guy doing the flips and all the, all the tables and chairs when no, when a lot of, not nobody, but a lot of the other guys didn't want to do it. So I'm, I'm actually a fan of that style. But being a business person, I have a physical therapy business. Being a student of wrestling, I watch wrestling. I'm still very passionate about wrestling. No one's making a huge a living off independent wrestling. They're not. And if they tell you they are, they're lying. If anybody's telling you they're making a killing on their independent wrestling money, they're lying. Stop. Stop it. You're lying. So, huge fan of it. Very passionate about it. Uh, I watch wrestling. I watch the network in the morning when I do cardio or at night. And I said, there's a huge market, there's a huge market that's not being exploited out there. And that's the kids and the families. What uh, our slogan on our Facebook page, Rescue Mania Wrestling, is rediscover what made you a wrestling fan and experience again with your kids. Uh, my kids, they'll occasionally check out what's going on, on on the TV and they'll watch it for 10, 15 minutes and eh, they'll go, they're on their iPad or they'll go play uh playstation or somewhere what's that game called uh fortnite they'll go play fortnite they, uh <laughs> if i'm downstairs and i have on like warrior hogan or like with the undertaker versus Shawn michaels or something like that they're glued uh and and i'm doing all, all the talking here i'm real real sorry uh no no no, no. you're good uh <laughs> i i always describe today's product i think the athleticism is on a scale that nobody could have possibly imagined. It's incredible the way these guys flip and flop and land on their feet. And the athleticism is incredibly, it's off the hook insane. But I think in exchange for that, what's been sacrificed is all the stuff 
I see all the bullshit that was fun, that made wrestling fun. The outlandish characters, the colorful outfits. You know, you see some guys come out with a badass leather jacket or a long leather jacket or a half leather jacket. Mm. And it's, I call it tough guy gear. You, you go to one of the Rescue Mania shows, we got guys in outlandish robes. We got red, white, and blue flying. We got all these outlandish outfits. And as a child, that's one of the things, like, I, I, I watched Ric Flair as a kid. I watched Randy Savage as a kid. And I watched him, like, oh, my God, that guy looks effing cool. Oh, my God, that, that's awesome. And then they got in the ring, and they could still wrestle. They were good. But there was this whole persona, this whole colorful outfit, and this whole mishmash of stuff that went along with it. And I think that's gone. And so we kind of brought that back. Uh I really tried to keep the shows extremely kid and family friendly. However, however, uh, I really try to make it where the athleticism is something where an older fan like me, someone in their 30s, somebody in their 20s, somebody in, in their teens could appreciate what's going on. We had some gimmick matches, but they were all solid work rate. We had a match on the card that was freaking insane. It was Sebastian Cage, who's an East Coast light heavyweight guy that's just so good. Uh, I guarantee he'll 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 be somewhere someday. Uh, extremely gifted light heavyweight going against Super Crazy, who was just happened to be in the area. We came upon him <laughs> two weeks out, an insane match. And so we had all the gimmick stuff going on, but we had a solid two three matches that would appeal to a smart crowd. You know, we had Super Crazy against. Sebastian Cage. We had Nico Shrikos, who works regularly for WrestlePro out in uh, Rahway, big East Coast group out here. Awesome worker. Looks like a wrestler. That's a big thing, too. I mean, and there's a lot of extremely gifted athletic guys out there, but there's a lot of extremely gifted athletic guys that don't look like wrestlers. And I'm not saying you, you need these gigantic Hulk-looking guys, but at least look like you've done a, a push-up or two. You can't have guys out there in Shorts and, and T-shirts or shorts and cutoff shirts. That's how I started my career, but you can't make that your whole career. you got to get in shape. Uh, if you're holding on to that baby fat, get on the bike. If, if you're saggy up here, do some benches, do some push-ups. I'm, I'm a big believer in that your talent has to look larger than life. And not gigantic, but at least look like you're in shape. So, Nikos Rikos, in great shape, he was the guy that came out first on the card. He opened up the card. He has a great outfit. He's jacked. He looks great. He's this Greek guy, holds up the Greek flag in back of him. Oh, Bob, Greek music. And then we uh, – I'm, I'm actually a big fan of his opponent, East Coast mainstay for years and years is Azriel. Great light heavyweight guy. Uh, everybody in East Coast knows him, but uh, just never got that break. Extremely talented. And wrestling is, I mean, I got where I got to go because I worked hard, but ultimately I make no bones about it. A lot of people opened up doors for me. I thanked them all. I, I can't thank them all now because we would be on here for three hours and we would talk no wrestling. Uh, every, everybody that's ever, ever helped me, I've always thanked uh, over and over and over again. You guys all know who you are. But Azrael is a guy, extremely talented. We repackaged him in a lucha mask. He never wore a mask before. But for our audience, which is mainly kids and families, we put them in a lucha mask and over like Rover. 
so we really try to mix family, kid entertainment, but without sacrificing work rate. And I think we've been successful at it. The people that came to the first rescue and couldn't wait to come back for the second one. And we have a third one scheduled for the end of November. What? And now you can talk. I'm sorry. Dude, no, no, no. I mean, you're already getting big, big hype from comments. People are saying how the this this whole thing was legendary, what you're saying. They're saying that you know what you're talking about, the beginning of the well, I Wonderful. <laughs> I have a second amongst my friends, and I'm probably going to piss some people off. I think I'm smarter than the average carny. <laughs> but no, I, all right. I think, and... Most guys will be afraid to say this too. I'm, they say, "Oh, I'm a passionate fan of of the business. I enjoy wrestling." So, I'm 44 years old, and I'm not blowing smoke up my own behind. I have my business. I did WCW. I got to travel the world. It should be out of my system. I genuinely enjoy what I'm doing. My first two shows. Uh, I used that as an opportunity to prove that this style would work. I made no money. I didn't lose any money, but it all went to great charities. It went to fire departments. Uh, it went to homeless veterans and rec football. I did these first two shows, one, to help people, two, to prove a point, uh, three, to give a platform to a lot of East Coast guys that really weren't in with the right clicks or they weren't indie darlings. And lastly, I did to – entertain myself because i love wrestling uh i have a very busy schedule i hate traveling to wrestle so if i could wrestle a few minutes from my house and do all these other cool things boom home run that's what it's about i love what that. say you but what's that <laughs> What say you? <laughs> What's up? It's Mikey O from the Average Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. You can find us at AverageMarks.com, on Facebook and Twitter at The Average Marks. Look, Patrick and myself, we don't claim to be insiders. We're just two average Joes who love the wrestling business, and we talk about our passion on a weekly podcast. We've interviewed some of the biggest names in wrestling today, WWE superstar Elias and Broken Matt Hardy, Sammy Callahan, The Draw, Johnny Impact, Austin Aries, Impact commentator Josh Matthews, YouTube superstar Matt Zion from Reckless Eating, and the list goes on and on and on, and it will not stop there. So, if you want to listen to a podcast that's just as passionate about the wrestling business as you are, check us out, AverageMarks.com, Facebook and Twitter, at The Average Marks, and we're a proud member of the Roar Network, powered by TheGorillaPosition.com, AverageMarks.com. Hey, I have a question. You just held up your fingers. Do you have a broke finger? I have a really... My friends always... Uh, I go <laughs> usually to... Disney at least once a year with roadkill. Uh, I broke these playing football when I was a kid. It's not, I can't lie and say it was a dramatic wrestling injury. It was not. Uh, this was a home improvement injury. I got these caught in a table saw. Uh, thank God they still work. I can still do my job. It's just oh. not pretty. But uh, we go to Disney. Uh, he goes with my family. There's a very small handful of friends you make in pro wrestling that you could call family. Mike DiPaoli, Roadkill. Uh, me and him just get along because we're real. We tell it like it is. And uh, we go to Disney every, 
every year. Like comes to the family, he's just a great guy. But when you go to Disney, you have the magic bands, and then you got to scan your finger on the gimmick there, this uh, thing that reads your fingerprint. I got to do it at least six, seven times, and half the times they got to call the guy over because it doesn't scan. So I've been given the name Junkyard Fingers. Uh, the physical therapist that I work with, we all have this bit how God was up in heaven and it was at at the end of the day when he was making Chris Ford for Mr. and Mrs. Ford. And he goes, ah, God, we're out of what fingers. we got a couple irregulars left. Ah, 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 forgive it to that Ford kid. And here I am. Wow. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Very good. Roadkill. You're talking about Amish roadkill? You got it. Ah, the one and only. Man. He's wonderful. You know – Whenever they, they brought him to WWE for a little bit, they had such big stuff planned for him. Then, like, that was it. He just he just left before it could even happen. Like, he had a run with Undertaker. I know he got hurt bad, too. I, yeah. I know that was part of the issue. The issue. He's just a great worker. I I had the opportunity to work him about twice, and uh, we just meshed so great. But more than um, meshing inside the ring, we meshed outside the ring, and uh, he's family. So, hmm. Hey, uh, by the way, shout out to Andrew Anderson, the reinforcer, Andrew Anderson. I love Andrew Anderson. I uh, Great friend, uh, better opponent. Andrew Anderson and I will be in a steel cage at the end of November in East Rutherford, New Jersey, five minutes from our last uh, fight. So we're hoping to grab some of that crowd that was in East Rutherford, uh, Rutherford rather, bring them to East Rutherford and get this thing going. Yeah, he, he just commented, me and you, Crowbar, in a cage on November 24th. Yes, anyway. I can't wait. And uh, <laughs> It's going to be awesome. He's, he's another character, too. Uh, Drew gets around a lot, but he's not what you would call an indie darling. The dude looks like a wrestler. He looks big, mean. He looks – when he walks down the ring, if you're there with you and your kid and you're a regular guy, you said, wow, this guy could beat me up. Yeah. This guy could – this guy will definitely beat me up. I'm scared of him. And uh, – and it's all how it's presented. A lot of guys on Independence, I know how it runs because I've, I've been there. They'll book the bigger guy. They'll put him against a light, heavy, a light heavyweight guy. They said, oh, I will put the light heavyweight guy over on this bigger guy and make him look good and make the big guy look like crap. Big guys aren't used well anymore these days. Uh, Andrew Richardson is an asset. He looks like a big, burly, rough and tumble, old school wrestler that could kick your ass. And when used appropriately in Rutherford, New Jersey, for Rescue Mania, he was the, – the kids were scared of him. They hated him. He's caused mayhem. And uh, I've actually paired him up with a uh, independent manager, Shining Eddie Jackson, who is incredible. Gold from head to toe. He looks like a gold Riddler. The guy could talk. The guy could bump. He's a throwback to outlandish managers – who you never see anymore, and the kids and the parents that came with the kids friggin' hate this guy, and that's what you want. You don't want a executive consultant in a regular suit, and uh, this is a real, a real business deal between uh, with the wrestler and this guy, and they're gonna try to convince the crowd this is real. You want that weaselly, outlandish manager. Nobody does it anymore, and he's out there. Drew and Eddie are friggin' killing it and just recently i put craig seal and another east coast mainstay with them he looks like he's 
slightly smaller version of Bam Bam Bigelow. They have a ton of heat, and they just go together. And and these guys have more heat just beating the shit out of people, nothing too fancy at all, than a guy doing 20 Asai moonsaults. Not that I'm opposed to Asai moonsaults. I, I appreciate the athleticism. I like them. I used to do them. If I had a big enough guy that I knew would catch me out there, I would still do them, but I don't. Uh, but these guys get way more reaction from the fans doing basic, easy stuff because they portray complete scumbags, which nobody does. Everybody's a badass. Nobody wants to yell at the fans, hey, you shut up, you're ugly. I'm not saying do that the whole match, but these guys interact with the fans. There's a there's a synergy that people are participating. I think we've gotten so far away from that that wrestling has become a little boring. It's just been, I'm going to watch some really cool stunts now. But there's no emotion there, in my opinion. But what do I know? You know a lot. I mean, just, just listen to the first part of this interview. You, you read a book. It was amazing. I wish I could... Well, we will be recording this. This will be audio form in a couple of days, so I can't wait. I love Andrew Anderson. He's going to be coming back hopefully soon down here to Louisiana. And a uh, shout-out to Mustang Mike, too. Uh, Andrew always comes in at GSW uh, once every once. Once every – yeah, probably once every couple of months to do a show over here down in Morgan City. Reinforce Andrew Anderson. Got to love him. Anyway. He's, great. he's, he's awesome. He's, he's an awesome talent. The majority of our roster are guys that aren't indie darlings at all. When I did the first Rescue Mania, uh, it was all non-clicky, non-indie darling wrestlers, and everybody said, that ain't going to draw shit. That's terrible. What? Uh, he's going to lose his ass. Rescue Mania. But for the first show, we had Little Guido. We had Tito Santana for the locals. <laughs> and Little Guido's great. He's, he's one of my great friends. I would have loved to have had him the second show, but they wanted a different name. So we got the, the Patriot, who I think on the East Coast is awesome. You can't, can never go wrong with the Patriot for the kids. There's not enough USA stuff out there. There's just not. Uh, but our show is comprised of non-indie darlings. And the first one and the second one, I got some texts. I got curls, calls, not curls. I did curls at the gym, but I got calls. And you heard through the grapevine, what the hell is, is he booking? That's not going to draw shit. Well, you know what? It did. Because one, a, a huge part of it is Mark Carino, who's a great graphics artist, is our posters. I, I, I have this game. It's a guilty pleasure of mine that I play with uh, a few wrestling friends. I'm not going to incriminate them, but I'll share this with you. We call it the bad poster game. And you go through <laughs> Facebook, and, and, and I look at certain stuff, I'm like, there is nothing on this thing that would possibly make me want to go to this show. My favorite one recently, and I'm not going to call it by name, it, it was, uh, uh, what the hell did it say? It said, parental advisory, explicit content, expect the unexpected. It had a big skull and crossbones, no talent. Big skull and crossbones. And then underneath it, Children under five, half price. Kids under three, free. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, really. That's the show I'm going to bring my kids to. Yeah. But so I'm a big fan. 
please, guys, don't, I love the bad poster game. Oh, yeah. So don't stop making your bad posters. But Mark Carino, he really captured the energy and the meaning of the first Rescue Mania. Did an outstanding poster. Did an outstanding poster for the second one. Getting back to grassroots promotion, those were up in every shop in a lot of towns here. It got a lot of mm-hmm. people there. But our roster was made of guys that aren't the in guys with the book. They're just not. Uh, and, and Drew Anderson. Ad, Adam Payne, who recently had a uh, WWE Performance Center tryout. Legit Army veteran. Awesome guy. Big as hell. Uh, he actually started out as a patient of mine, not even a wrestler. He came into my clinic with tennis elbow and uh, talked wrestling. We bonded on wrestling. There was a wrestling school one or two towns over. I referred him to that school. I helped kind of coach him along while he went to that school. We worked a ton of indie shows together. And right now, I think he's one of the best big guys out there on with the independent circuit. He, he looks incredible. He's legit. He knows how to base for all my – I could feel comfortable doing all the stuff that I used to do 20 years ago and know that I'd be safe with him. Uh, and he's a legitimate veteran. Think about Slaughter. I, I don't know if Corporal Kirshner was or not, but there's very few arm, Army guys that were real Army guys. He's a legit veteran. He's a college graduate. He's well-spoken, and I say to myself, I'm thrilled that he's on my show, and we've made a dramatic entrance for him on the first show and on the second show. If you check Facebook out, you'll see it from the first show. Uh, we have an even more dramatic entrance this show where we used uh, Toby Keith, uh, courtesy of the red, white, and blue, where the aisleway was lined with firemen and firefighter gear, Cub Scouts and veterans all holding the American flag. Real good feel-good moment. Wow. And I call that a practical entr- a practical entrance. In that's right. It's not a video screen. It's, it we had real people come out, and it made for a moment. One of the mottos of Rescue Mania is making moments, not just matches. And that was the moment we had uh, Tom Brandy portraying the with the Patriot walk down the aisle. Fanfare for the common man. Great song. Very heartfelt patriotic song. Saluted the aisle way. Uh, Adam Payne came out second because he's a legit veteran, a legit Army veteran. And then we hit, and all these guys came out with flags and first responder gear. Adam Payne hits the ring. It was probably an eight to ten minute end entrance, but it was a moment. It was a match. And and no matter what match you put out there at that point, it would have gotten over because the kids, the families were into what was going on. And uh, I'd be very shocked if you don't see Adam Payne in the, with WWE sometime soon. He's huge. He's agile. Uh, he's well-spoken. Uh, he's not just a guy you want to put in a ring. Uh, he's a guy that would be a great ambassador for like the super well-spoken, super nice, likable guy. Great for the talk shows, great for the veterans. And I'm not putting him over just because he started off as my patient. He's This guy got talent. And uh, uh, I selfishly want him to stick around for a few more Rescue Manias. But uh, I'm sure he's going to get the call before that. Uh, we just have a great talent roster. Bright Light Jarrett's Foster, who I did a post earlier in the day. He is the best heel. Everyone's like, oh, no way. I, I've never heard of the guy. Can can he do some flips? Can he do a her, her karana? Nah, this guy knows how to get heat. 
He's obnoxious. He could talk better. I, I, I'll put him up against as a talker. I'll put him against any anybody on the Indies these days, and he will crush them. Jared Foster will crush anybody on the Indies on, on the microphone, and nobody's probably heard of this guy, and he's frigging great. Had a ton of heat. Worked the hometown hero, gun, Gunner Trash, with pretty much a Rutherford's version of Dusty Rhodes. Legit works for the DPW for years as a part-time job, delivered pizzas at night. He's been in everybody's house in town, everybody's house, and he's the <laughs> nicest guy on the planet. If you see somebody in Rutherford or East Rutherford walking an old lady across the street or helping an old lady with the groceries, it's him. And <laughs> the fans are in love with this guy. Jared Foster was a great – Jared Foster stomped, kicked, and talked shit, and they wanted to murder him. And that's what makes a good heel. It's not being jacked up. It's not having six-pack abs. It's not doing moonsaults or hurricanes. This guy has an outlandish outfit. Uh, Steve Sterling, who's usually his tag partner, who is at ringside with him, also extremely talented. This duo is awesome. People can say I'm full of it. I think I know what I'm talking about. We sold out twice already, so uh, this guy's awesome. And the crowd viscerally hated this guy. We had a big jacked up guy waiting after the show wanting to beat him up. That's old school oh. wrestling heat, which is one. We laughed our asses off. Yeah, wow. that happens real. I'm not. This story has not been embellished. It requires no embellishing. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I'll let you talk. I've, I've been monopolizing your time. I'm sorry. Dude, no, no, absolutely not. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, Sonny Touche is just keeps saying how great uh, you are, how, how how much great things are coming out of, out of your mouth. It's, it's wonderful. Hey, I'm trying to change indie wrestling for the better. And, and, and I'm saying what's out there is bad. I think that this is a market completely ignored. Now, don't go and copy my stuff now. At least not in New Jersey. Don't use my guys. Not Actually, I want my guys to get a lot of work. There uh, they're so talented, and I'm doing this just for ha-has, and I'm just blessed. A lot of people, oh, don't, I'm very blessed to be able to do what I still do and entertain myself, help some charities and help all help give these guys a platform yeah. that they deserve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, so I want to go back in time. Uh, I want you to tell me kind of like what wanted you, what, what made you want to do this? Like what was the beginning of it? What were your first memories of, uh, it was always a big, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Of professional wrestling. What were your first memories of professional wrestling? Uh, my dad and my brother used to watch it late at night. I believe it was on Channel 9. It would come on late. And I would usually go to bed. But the way my bedroom was, you could kind of see down the hallway. So I would edge near the end of the bed. And I would watch him watching pro wrestling on Channel 9. As I got old, older, of course, like a lot of us, it was the Saturday morning wrestling with superstars challenge, primetime wrestling up around here. It was more WWE-based. When we finally got... Cable, I was able to watch some of the uh, NWA or, or WCW, whatever it was at that time. I, whenever wrestling was on, I watched it and uh, was always a huge fan. Uh, I always liked the bad guys. <laughs> uh, and it just got to a point when uh, 
where being a fan just was not enough. And you talk about how things are meant to be. Things just kind of fell into place here. Uh, my sister's first husband, his brother, knew of a guy that worked in a bicycle shop one town away. Uh, he was one of the many, many, many masked ex executioners. Uh, his name was Tom Rumsby, but there was a, there's a million mass executioners. But this guy uh, had a bicycle shop in East Rutherford. And uh, he had told my brother-in-law's brother that he was opening up a wrestling school with Iron Mike Sharp in Bricktown, New Jersey. Uh, the following year, they had this in the works. This was the plan. And wrestling was always, I knew loosely of the Monster Factory because of, uh, you know, the wrestling magazines were a lot of them at that time. But that was way down South Jersey. Uh, Bricktown was a little closer. And I said, I think I could probably do that. I I could probably finagle getting down there. So I knew I had about a year. I grabbed the job at a local catering hall the whole summer. I worked double shifts whenever I could uh, as a bus boy. I saved my money up, and uh, that was all summer into September. And then the following March or April or so, I joined Iron Mike Sharp School. I was his first student. Wow. Yeah. Very first student. Yes. That's unreal. That's amazing. Yeah. He's a legend. Hey, and and, and it just kind of fell in. I it was something it you talk about how stuff is meant to be. It, it was something that had grown passionately here to where I'm like, I really want to do this. And everybody's gonna think I'm friggin' nuts for wanting to do this. But I have no idea how to get involved. And then shortly thereafter the the information just came to me. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> wow. So tell me a little bit about Iron Mike Shark, the man. Iron Mike Shark. Iron Mike Sharp, the man. Iron Mike Shark. Yeah. Yeah, like Shark. Uh, we go back into what I was talking about, and I'm not going back to my shows, I swear. But this was a guy, when you met him, larger than life, gigantic bear of a man. And you talk about keeping kayfabe when he trained. When he trained you at the school, now you, now you go to a, a wrestling school, and it's totally fine. People are in wrestling shoes, shorts, T-shirt. He got in his trunks. He had the armband on. He oiled up. He warmed up, and he trained like he was going to the freaking garden. Oiled up, arm brace on, black <laughs> trunks, knee pads, and that's how he trained you. Legit, hand to God, it happened. <laughs> I've, yeah, I have never heard of just training and putting on all and, the gear. Wow. And I really didn't get it at that time. I was only 17. So you really don't watch it the same as you do. Then you've been in, in the business for years and years and years. Uh, you can tell he was a huge guy. He always lost, but you always knew of him because he had something that made him distinct. He was always growling. He was always aggressive. He has a certain look. He had the arm brace. This is what I'm talking about. Guys had things that made them stand out. It wasn't just moves. When you watch him now, that guy, when he worked, he didn't stop. If you watch an Iron Mike Sharp match and you're his his opponent, you have no chance to catch your breath. He he just stayed up. He blew your ass up. He he had great cardio. Uh, he was aggressive. He was a big and he was believable. Just watch him work now. Not. You, you know he's going to lose, but just watch it when he's on a guy. Mm -hmm. Like, he's beating the snot out of him. 
And if you're the guy working them, you you have no chance to catch catch your breath. You better have good cardio, or Iron Mike's going to eat your lunch. Wow. Watching it now, meaning you know, just yeah. watch it now. It's it's something really cool to look at. How real his stuff looked. I will definitely watch it after that. I will watch some Mike, Mike Sharp stuff after the Iron Mike Shark stuff after this interview. Uh, anyway, so. You started training with Iron Mike uh, for a little bit, and then you started working in the indies. Who gave you kind of that connection to start working indie shows? Is that Mike Sharp himself kind of told you, hey, you need to branch out a little bit more? Or was that you? We kind of uh, – Mike was a great teacher. He had shows at his school, which gave a lot of us experience. It was uh, it was first one show a month, then two shows a month, and we looked forward to those two shows like it was WrestleMania, getting inside a ring and – in front of a ton of people. Those shows went about five hours long because every, everybody was learning stuff at the school, and when they did a match, they wanted to try everything that they learned. So these matches wow. were so long, uh, but they were really great. And I had a great manager at the time, the master, uh, who I had actually met in high school. Uh, he was a substitute a teacher, really smart dude, uh, also a wrestling fan that I convinced to go to Mike Sharps as well. And uh, we bonded over wrestling. He's still a great fan of mine. He, he was just recently the commissioner for Rescue Mania 2. Uh, oh. His name is Rocco Mazda. But if you ask anybody that was around the East Coast Indies at that time, uh, this guy was an awesome manager. I mean, he, he was so animated, well-spoken. He could take a bump. He looked great. But unfortunately, at that time, that's when when wrestling started to transition away from the managers into more the valets and stuff. And he just never really got that shot. Extremely talented uh, dude, and uh, and he really he helped get me to shows. He worked with me a lot, but he he ultimately did a lot of the driving. He was a lot. He was very much responsible for a lot of my PR that got me noticed. And I say this on every interview I can. Had it not been for the master, Rocco Maza, Crowbar would never have even existed. I would have maybe done with the independent circuit for a few years and just drifted off. This guy is extremely instrumental in my career. God bless him. He's one of my best friends. And uh, without this guy, I would have never made it. And uh, he, it was through him, through his intervention, doing press releases, calling promoters for the both of us, stuff like that, that he really opened up a lot of doors for me, uh, you know, which followed, which was Dennis Carluzzo, Tommy Fierro, Dina Sana, Dino Sana, Tony Rumble, Dennis Clam, all big independent promoters on the East Coast at that time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very cool. I'm gonna have to contact the master then. Uh, he's all uh, he, he he would be a hell of an in, in, late interview. He's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, you know Rocco Maza. You can find him. Rocco Maza will do. Uh, you know, and I tell you what, a lot of uh, a lot of the people that are tuning in uh, that are more associated with the experience page don't really know much about you. Uh, don't don't know nothing about me. No, they 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 know a lot of. They just don't know. You know, like about the East Coast and stuff. I'm learning a lot about yeah. East Coast wrestling that I never knew because I've really never had anybody on here that was from like that Northeast area. And that area gotcha. is just so dense with with independent wrestling. You know, you never know. Your substitute teacher could be a wrestler. Like down here, yeah. 
you know, oh, hey, look, I knew a wrestler, you know, like a couple states over, or his his cousin's a wrestler. Like, that's about as close to a wrestler as you can get down here. Not really. I'm, I'm being ridiculous. There's wrestlers everywhere in Louisiana, but it's not like that area up there. Um, anyway, so yeah, you start working the indies as Devin Storm. How did you come up with the name Devin Storm? Uh, it really, it's not a really uh, glamorous thing at all. There was uh, a guy on, I forget what group he wrestled for. His name was J.W. Storm, I think. Big dude. And I always liked the last name Storm. Uh, I had a high school pen pal from Devon, Pennsylvania. And I always liked the name Devin. I go, okay, Devin's, okay. Devin Storm. And there you have it. Devin Storm. Nothing glamorous. So <laughs> I wish I had a better story, but I don't. So you like the you like the I took, Storm. I took Devin, I took Storm, and I put cool. them together. You like the last name Storm? I wish I had a better story to tell you, I don't. <laughs> that's I mean that, that's 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 a great story. I mean it's better than just the person telling you, Hey, you're gonna be Devin Storm. I don't yeah. like that name. Tough. Deal with yep. it. <laughs> so you like the last name Storm? Yeah. You like Tim Storm? I like Storm. I I think Tim, I don't know Tim Storm, but he's a former NWA champion. Just not flashy enough for me. Tim Storm doesn't sound flashy, but I heard he's great. He's great. It's phenomenal. I wouldn't pick Tim, but I I'm sure it works great for him. It works. It works phenomenal. I mean, hey, he he was an NWA champion. Yeah. But you um and as we discussed before the interview, extremely busy these days. I'm not up on all the goings on, so <laughs> I apologize. No disrespect. I don't watch a lot of wrestling i don't keep up a lot so i no disrespect to anybody if you mention somebody and i don't know them it's not because they're not over or i'm trying to crap on them like i never heard of them i legitimately don't follow a lot of wrestling now i'm i go to work in my business i play around on indies here or there and then all my other time is with my family so if i don't know you or if it's not disrespect i just i'm i'm not following i'm yeah. sorry Dude, completely. I completely understand. Uh, so anyway, so you're working as Devin Storm on the Indies. Uh, and then you form a tag team with a guy that a lot of people know, Ace Darling. Tell me about Ace Darling. Yes. Ace Darling is awesome. We are still very, very close friends. He's also uh, part of the Disney trip in the spring with Roadkill and his family. Uh, just a great family guy. Some of the best years of my life were spent with this guy as either an, an opponent or a team. Uh, another guy like my brother. I mean, I wish we would lived closer. Actually, that might be bad because if he lived close, we probably – I'd get no work done. Uh, the guy's a sweetheart of a guy, great family man, hard worker. He's one of those guys that successfully transitioned from pro wrestling to real life. Uh, he's not a Randy the Ram story. He got his shit together. Uh, we get together, uh, I mean, so infrequently, but, uh, we'll text, we'll talk whenever we can. I love this guy. Uh, I love him from the bottom of my heart. I can't say enough good things. And, uh, count, uh spent countless times on the road, uh, working teams that were awesome and having great matches, working teams that were Awful, and then just driving home, laughing about how bad it was, and <laughs> thank God we didn't get hurt. And uh, but that was so bad it was funny. Uh, just I'm just from the bottom of 
my heart, I can't say enough about this guy. What, what I can say is uh, you talk to anybody at that time on the East Coast, myself, Simon Diamond, uh, Nova, there's a lot of guys, guys from that era, that click. Uh, Mike, Mike Moraldo, who he was for a while, then he became Ace Darling. Uh, if you were to pick one guy out of our group that was the most talented, it was him. It wasn't me. It wasn't Nova. It wasn't Simon Diamond. It wasn't a lot of those guys. Uh, Ace Darling was a guy that could have a great match. It's a very cliched thing to say. Have a great match with a friggin' broomstick. So talented, so charismatic, great look. I mean, he had everything, just never got that break. And uh, he, he was definitely more deserving than me. Uh, and I have no problems with The guy was so effing good and just never got the break. Uh, but uh, I'm thankful for all the times that I got to perform either across the ring for him or uh, in, in the same corner. Uh, just outstanding performer. Uh, should have made millions. Wow. Legit. Very, very kind words. You mentioned Simon Diamond. I'm going to do my Simon Diamond impression real quick. All right. Yes. That's all Simon Diamond uh, <laughs> years ago was with Dawn Marie, and they actually introduced me to my wife. So uh, I always have a very special place in my heart for both Simon and Dawn because uh, they in in introduced me to my wonderful wife. And uh, I may I brag that we're a successful wrestling marriage. That's great. You, you, you really don't see that a lot. The lovely Serena, a.k.a. Dina Ford. There you go. That's that's great. Well, so you're working on the Indies tag team with Ace Darling. Uh, were y'all known as the Extreme at that time? Uh, or was that later on? People called us the Extreme. They called us the Extremists. Okay. Uh, some people called us just Devin Storm and Ace Ace Darling, and whatever. It all depended on where we were at. We just took the booking and said, "Yeah, sure, whatever you guys want." So in, I believe it was 94, uh, on Eastern Championship Wrestling, NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling, Shane Douglas wins the NWA Championship. Of course, this is kind of throwing the story around a little bit. Uh, yeah. Of course, if, if you haven't seen it, folks, I recommend going and looking up on YouTube. Shane Douglas wins the NWA Championship in ECW, the original ECW, and basically throws it down, names up all the legends, and then throws it on the ground, says it means nothing to him. They vacate the NWA World Championship. Yes, the 10 pounds of gold that Cody Rhodes holds right now, and we're speaking of, threw it on the ground, and that was the death of the NWA, as we all so thought. That title was vacated, and then there was a tournament to crown a new champion, and you were in that tournament. Yes, I was. Uh, I was given that opportunity by Dennis Carluzzo uh, through a lot of lobbying from Tommy Fierro, great friend of mine. And uh, I had the opportunity to work with Tracy Smothers in that tournament. Because a thug can't spell. A thug can't spell. You Am I missing something? You I don't know that term. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel really stupid. Trey, okay, Tracy Smothers gave a legendary promo like years ago. I forget what the, I think the team was called Thug, and they were just really they were called the th the Thugs. And like Tracy Tracy Smothers gave a promo, and he was like, "T is for tough, U is for I don't know." <laughs> uh, 
T is for tough. T H is for something. U is for whatever. G is for jail because a thug can't spell. And they were like, yeah. And they did like a too sweet click thing and they just like walked away. And I think, um, not Ricky Morton. Oh, come on. Uh, what, what's, what's, what's Ricky Morton's tag team partner name? The, Robert Gibson. Robert Gibson, yes. Robert Gibson was like the, the front man of this team. And then out of nowhere comes Tracy Smothers, the mouthpiece. Just, it gives it, he just tells it like. <laughs> he's great. Dude, Tra- I've always wanted to meet Tracy Smothers. How, how great uh, he's, Smothers? He's such an awesome dude. He's definitely a guy you got to meet. He's awesome. From Nashville, Italy. It's a very, very small place in Italy. Not many people live there. Small. Really small. <laughs> Population of like one. <laughs> it's Tracy Smothers. I love Tracy Smothers whenever he's with the FBI. I love watching old ECW. It just worked. It was – and that goes back to a similar – it was just a ridiculous, cool thing that worked. And it was entertaining. It wasn't, it wasn't about flipping. It wasn't about going through a table. It wasn't about uh, – strong style whacking the hell out of your opponent it was silly and entertaining and fun and you tuned in because you said wow that's funny and i like it (laughs) yeah uh so speaking of ecw in 1996 you start working for ecw um start working with guys like taz too cold scorpio even balls mahoney god rest his soul uh but were, were you contracted with ECW or were you just brought in? No, I was actually at, at that time I was full-time going to college and uh, it worked out great for me because uh, ECW is mainly East Coast based Philly that went as far north as Boston as down far south as Maryland. So I w- would go to school all week and then on Friday I would leave class at 3.34 and take off to wherever the show was at. 3.34. And just it's an interesting where, wherever I'm going. Not 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 three thirty-five, three thirty-four, guys. No, even. Three thirty or four o'clock. Like oh, oh, I thought you said like not three thirty-four. Three thirty-four. Three thirty-four o'clock. Yeah. Gotta be leaving right at three thirty-four. No. If you're there at three thirty-five, you're late. Hey, if I left at three thirty-four, who knows what could have happened? I might have got a push there. Might have. <laughs> three thirty four might have been it. That might have been the thing that did it. You could have been Shit. signed to ECW. Three thirty-four. That's that's what it would have taken. <laughs> could have been NWA champion. All of it. Three thirty-four, man. Who knew? <laughs> All these years later, three thirty-four. Well, it's it's been answered here, folks. Well, <laughs> so at this time you're working. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> there you go. So you're working. Three thirty-four. Three thirty-four. <laughs> you need to get a shirt, man. Damn it. <laughs> This number, this time, I'm so sorry that I brought up 334 to you. I didn't mean to. Um, so anyway, so at this time, you're in ECW, um, working these couple of matches. So during 1996, which becomes a pretty big year for you, uh, you start working a couple of matches in WCW. Uh, of course, this is where a lot of people know you from, uh, as Dangerous Devin Storm. Uh, and you were you wrestled with Conan uh, or K Dog, as some like to call it, yeah. the United States Championship. Uh, what was the whole thing with you going into WCW and right off the bat? You get a championship match. What was that decision? Actually, those uh, the matches with WCW actually happened before ECW. I, I had a little stint with uh, 
WCW, just because I was rocking it on, on the East Coast, just doing wild stuff. And at that time, uh, WCW was utilizing the cruiserweights on Nitro guys doing more crazy stuff to get that pop out. You know, what they called them car crash matches. And I I, like, I became the car crash match of with the month, the flavor of the month. Uh, so they brought me down. I got to do Nitro against Conan, which at that time I'm – 21, 22. So I'm like a kid in the candy store. One, I always explain to people, just getting in a ring for me at Mike Sharps was awesome. And if that's where it ended, it would have been great. Going down to WCW was like, forget about mind blowing. And nobody will tell you this on an interview because they want to act professional and like they're unfazed by all this stuff. Nah, man, it was fucking awesome. And uh, I, I was in college. I was flying out nightly to do WCW, something that I watched, and I was still in school, and I was still doing indies at home, and it was awesome. Uh, got to work with Conan on Nitro for a title, which was insane. Uh, got to work with Eddie Guerrero on WCW Saturday night, you know, so, uh, I mean, at that point, I'm wrestling on indies, but I'm still a huge fan of what I'm watching, so it's just mind-blowing, and uh, once again, just... Uh, an experience I'm very blessed to have gone through and uh, still grateful for. And it's, it still gives me chills. You know, it, it was awesome. That's great. And that's, that's like really cool. Like you're getting on a plane. As soon as you get out of school, bam, you're on TV, getting on a plane at three thirty four on TV that night on nitro. Like that's like a fantasy story. That's crazy. Speaking of three thirty four, yeah. uh, Michael, I'm going to butcher your last name. I'm sorry. Sizrick, it's Crowbar 334. People want Mike Cesaric, yes. Mike Cesaric, all right. Uh, Mike Cesaric is actually an official at Felician University and one of the guys responsible for for enabling Rescue Mania to take place. It's uh, Rutherford actually has a university within it, and uh, Felician University was gracious enough to donate their facility to the Rutherford Fire Department to it, enable these two. Uh, uh, well, my events to take place. He is also the main voice of Rescue Mania. Great ring announcer, great friend. Cool. Uh, he is a student of wrestling, and uh, he kind of, uh, I actually ran by a lot of what myself and I, Kevin Sullivan helped me tweak a lot of what I did with these two shows. Also a very good friend of mine that I met in WCW the first time, actually prior to that when I worked for uh, Tony Rumble up in uh, Boston, but uh, we still keep in contact. He's a big believer in this old school family entertainment thing. And a lot of my ideas that I brainstorm, I always run by Kevin. And after I run them by Kevin and I tweak him, Mike, who's a, a student and a fan of pro wrestling, I run by Mike and I say, Mike, what do you think? And uh, he's just been a great sounding board. Uh, he really enabled these shows to take place. And it's really weird how people come into your life and you make connections and uh uh i don't think you've heard the last of mike cesaric in uh as far as wrestling goes or rescue mania and i'm pretty sure you're gonna see him at, at uh the event in november if you'd be so gracious as to join us mike awesome dude great student of the game and uh really enabled this whole thing to happen mm. 
That's very, very cool. I'm, I'm also a ring announcer down here in the South, and I remember watching some clips of Rescue Mania, and I was like, the ring announcer is the real deal. He, he knows what's up. He's very good. So shout out to Mike Cesarek. You, you have a great voice, and you're a phenomenal ring announcer because it takes a lot to be a ring announcer. Any guy can go up there with a the microphone, but if you're a ring announcer, I mean, with that mic, everybody in that building is looking at you, and if something goes wrong, it's your fault. Whenever there's no one else in the ring wrestling, I mean, whenever it's just you, a sound issue, everyone's not looking. They don't know where the DJ's at. They're looking at the guy in the ring. Anyway, of course. branching off too much about announcing, it's it's a crazy science. Anyway, so you start running around after uh, some appearances on Nitro, and in 1997, you worked a match with WWF Light Heavyweight Championship Tournament. Uh yes. And uh, who who did you face in the first round? Do you remember? Taka Michinuku. And it was yes. actually a cool story. Uh, between WCW and then, I did a lot of work for uh, Dennis Carluzzo, and I had, had become very close with Jim Cornette, still one of my favorites. He's awesome. He's so great. And uh, he was up there in, in the booking department. He goes, damn it, what's going on? He goes, well... All the big name guys are the down WCW. I said, "Hell, these great guys here on the East Coast, like Devin Storm and Ace Storm." Said, "Fuck, why don't we bring them in?" So there I go. Uh, <laughs> and he and he was such a great guy. Gave me this opportunity. Uh, I got to work with Taka. Got to work with Brian Christopher, and I also got to work with against Ace on Raw as well as for Shotgun Saturday Night, and then after. After the light heavyweight division, yeah, she used me and Ace as a a tag uh, a couple times for TV tapings, which was really really cool. So that was another guy instrumental in many of the breaks that I had had. Uh, he opened that door and let me in and gave me that opportunity. But at that point too, I I, I was still full time in school and I'm on Raw, so it's kind of neat. Too cool. Uh, yeah, and also I mean, thank you, thank you, Jim. Cornette, as always, you're awesome. That is a gr- that is a great story. I mean, there's many Jim Cornette stories. Like Jim Cornette, as as a person, is just unreal. Like it's crazy the stuff that I've heard about Jim Cornette. But that's that's pretty good right there. Like he's uh, he is crazy. He's funny. He's outlandish. But on a personal level, instrumental in me staying out out there, uh, getting breaks, and you know just keeping that ball rolling. You know, you go from you know, from WCW to ECW, back to WCW, back to the cruiserweight division, and then ultimately back to WCW again. But he was instrumental in keeping that momentum going and giving me a platform to show myself on. And uh, I don't forget the, the people that do things for me. A lot of people say, oh, I just worked real hard and I worked my ass off. In pro wrestling, it's predetermined. You got to work your ass off. You got to know what to do with the ball when it's given to you. But if you don't acknowledge the people that give you that ball, then you're fooling yourself. Yeah. So during the time of you being in WWF, uh, you mentioned, of course, mm-hmm. a Starling. Uh, and you also work with Darren Drozdov and D'Lo Brown. Uh, love D'Lo. Shakes the head and everything. Yes. Anyway, so and I, lo- I love the fact that you guys reunited as a tag team. What went on with uh, – you and Ace reuniting. Was that just Jim like, well, they were a tag team? Well, we uh, we were still 
tagging as on the uh, indie circuit. And uh, we actually worked with Jim. We actually won the NWA United States tag straps. I actually had, had a picture here. Damn it. I could probably find it for you. Give, give me one second. I'm sure it's down Yes, here. sir. Maybe. Just maybe. I'm, I'm really going to try. Well, as we, I don't want to hold up your broadcast. No, no, absolutely not. You have yeah, artifacts I, all over well, your room. Where we are, I, there he is. I don't want to drag this out with dead time, but no. there was actually a picture. The picture fell off my wall because I use those those uh, safe sticky things instead of like a nail. My wife moved it someplace, so I don't know where it is. But well, it, there's actually a picture of it. Very proud of it. It's me, Ace, with Jim Cornette, and the. Uh, NWA North American tag belts. And uh, we had wow. worked a lot with him on the uh, East Coast independent scene. And he, he uh, liked what we did. We really tried to be a more modern version of the Rock and Roll Express. We would do some high spots. You would see Frankensteiners, Moonsaults, Glide Headsets, or stuff like that. But we still kept the basics of what we believed. And what I still believe, by the way, is great tag team wrestling, getting a guy in the hold, tagging in and out really quick. And ringing that arm or working in quick, quick tags. Uh, so it looks like a tag team match as opposed to two, four guys having two separate singles matches. I love uniform. I, I, I am a sucker for tag wrestling. Uh, there's just really not a lot of tag teams on indie wrestling. Uh, going back to Rescue Mania, I teamed at Adam Payne with the Patriot. Great U USA tag team. Two big dudes. Mm -hmm. Great and great and Great entrance, like I said before, Stars and Stripes, first first responders, but they worked against the Heavenly Bodies, the Carino brothers. Uh, I have no idea how they got the rights to the name or whatever. Uh, I know they know Tom Pritchard somehow, but a uniform tag team, matching gear, matching jackets. Uh, I'm a very big fan of uniform tag teams, and you don't see it a lot. I think it's a lost art. What the hell do I know? But uh, fans hated, hated the Heavenly Bodies, and they look great going out there wearing the same stuff. So, anyhow, uh, Cornette liked the way we worked. We tried to do an updated version of the Rock and Roll Express, and uh, that's how we, end, uh, we ended up up there. Very good. Uh, and I took some quick notice. You have a lot of... Very, very, very cool artifacts around. So did Sonny Touche. He just noticed, is that the WCW Hardcore title? I was going to ask you about that. It is a replica that a good friend of mine gave to me. It's three-quarter scale. Uh, this is another just a, a really quick, great story of how people come into your life. I used to leave for uh, TV once I got signed full-time as Crowbar. I used to leave for TV from... Rutherford. I would go to Newark Airport, but prior to going to Newark Airport, there was this place, little tiny diner, one town over, the Colonial Diner, and I would always get an egg white omelet with chicken and a bunch of veggies. Uh, the cook there, near his name was Spear. His, his, his name was Spiro. This guy is this guy is the funniest, craziest freaking guy I know. But anyway, we become great friends. I'm still great friends with him and his wife. They come over to the house. Often, so I that would be my first stop before going to the airport, and would be my first stop on the way home before going home. And he actually named it. It was up on the board, the crowbar omelet. It was all egg whites, uh, cut up chicken breasts, and a bunch of 
veggies and we bonded over pro wrestling at, at the diner and we're still friends to this day and so he got you that belt made yes okay well we're going to talk about that belt in a little bit whenever we start talking okay about our hardcore title run but anyway you got it. so um between this period from 97 uh it's about a two-year void right here uh 99 here it is wcw who came to you about WCW? Well, uh, I did the light heavyweight thing for WWE. Mm -hmm. I finished up school. I also graduated, and then I started working as a physical therapist at a, a local hospital. Oh. Uh, at that time, which a lot of people don't know, is I got called down to three of the WWE Funkin' Dojos, which they held up in Stanford. You want to talk about a crazy story. So I arranged my schedule. I crammed all my patients into the morning, and I arranged it with my supervisor, who, who actually knew from uh, volunteering before I actually became a physical therapist. I did all my patients in, in the morning, and at lunchtime, I drove up to Stanford for five days to participate in the dojo. I would miss the morning session, which was just weights and stuff, but I would actually get up there for all the – the performance related stuff mm -hmm. nothing became of it uh but I, I i was actually asked there for two those were the dojos that uh kurt angle was with uh test was there christian was there uh pierre the pirate was there uh <laughs> pierre Garland. bradley okay. yeah so i i was in with that whole crew which was kind of neat uh teddy hart was there uh at that time Christopher Daniels, Steve Carino. And from that point, uh, me, Steve, and Chris Daniels were probably three of the only guys that did not get signed. So we would refer to ourselves affectionately on the independent circle when we would see one another as the US three, unsigned three. Uh, that was me, Steve, and Chris Daniels. Uh, so that happened. And around that same time, Dallas Page ran a charity show at the Asbury Park Convention Center. And I had met him a few times in WCW. And he had we just hit it off really great. We're both from New Jersey. And uh, we talked a lot. And he said, Lino, go finish up school. Uh, get out of here right now. Because he goes, it's really good to get the experience. But if you stay here, you're going to get typecast into that job guy role. He goes, so finish school. Uh, keep honing your craft, get in shape, and when you finish, give me a call. So I did the two dojos. Nothing happened. I w went down to Asbury Park. I saw a page. He said, in, in a few months, send me a tape, and I'll see what I could do, which I did, yada, yada, yada. I worked for a year in physical therapy, and just short of a year, Dallas Page got me my job. Once again, worked my ass off, but without him opening that door, I would never would have gotten in. Uh, and I packed up my life and I moved to Smyrna, Georgia. Wow. Very cool. Hey, that dojo, the Funkin' Dojo, was that the one that the Hardy Boys were at? Uh, they probably were not at the one that I was in. Though. Okay, okay. Because I remember yeah. they were at the dojo with Test and a few others. Uh, I didn't know that uh, PCO was was at the, fun the old Funkin' Dojos, man. PC okay. Yeah. Do you, do you, are you aware of what PCO is doing right now? I've seen 
PCO, I know he's out there. I know he's a guy like myself that's up there in age, but still works really, really hard from mm. what I've heard. I've always liked him, really nice, crazy guy. And, uh, and like I said, I don't follow it. I don't go to a lot of shows, but I heard he's doing really good stuff out there. Dude, you want to talk about a guy who, like, totally changed his career up and is now probably at the height of his career at the age that he's at. It's PCO. Like, the guy from the Quebecers is now, you know, he was – he's where he's like – he's a main eventer in these indie shows. And these aren't, you know, indie shows like, oh, let's let's book a vet. Like, no, it's it's like this guy is going that, you know, just having these super long crazy matches with guys like Matt Riddle who just got signed to WWE. You know, like these, these indie guys that are like – super huge right now he's doing it and he's the real deal and but is he timeless yeah i say so i don't know <laughs> uh um but you I, i'm gonna send you one of his um his like promo videos he films these videos of himself training with this guy and they're crazy like he'll be he'll be like doing bench presses and then like this guy takes a car battery with jumper cables and attaches it to like his ears and like he just like goes crazy and like he like takes a nail and nails into his neck something is crazy now from <laughs> what i've heard doing great matches right yeah. correct yes but he's also doing this entertainment aspect which most people totally neglect to do that's awesome yeah and it's just insane. I can't I, say enough. Thank you. I don't think people get too old to where they want to see that still. I mean, maybe a small percentage of, of the crowd will really get into that. I call it that Japan thing where it's a serious sport. I I think people want to be and really entertained. So I think that's why people, that's why guys like me bring my kids to watch the Marvel movies. It's They're enjoying it, but I love it. I love Star Wars. I love bringing my kids. I, I don't think you outgrow that. That's one of the things that made you love wrestling in the first place. And when I hear you telling me that story, I'm like, I, I heard he's working really, really great still. And now you tell me about these videos and stuff. You're, you're combining two things that a lot of guys aren't. A lot of guys are focusing on the insane work rate, which is great, but, you need this too. You need this part to make it complete. In my opinion, once again, what do I know? Yeah, he is. He is the absolute real deal. I remember. See, I, of course, I live in Louisiana. Uh, for WrestleMania weekend, uh, we were at the uh, Ring of Honor uh, show, um, Supercard of Honor, and I remember someone who I know uh, came up and was like, "Hey, man, uh, we went to Joey Janela's house party. Joey Janela is an indie wrestler, by the way. He's." I I know Joey Janela love had a few matches with Joey. Yes, awesome. I you know. me and uh, <laughs> I get a little crazy with Joey. If uh, oh yeah, you can look up the matches. We've uh, crossed paths a few times. Well, Joey Janela has the house party thing. G GCW, uh, his GCW up there. Uh, they booked they booked a lot of shows in that whole mm -hmm. WrestleMania week. And they did Joey Janela's house party. And it, apparently it went on until like four in the morning. It was wow. a super long show. And they said it was the most backyard wrestling show you've ever thought of. And it was just absolute crazy. They had a battle royal. And one of the entrants was 
PCO. And a lot of people had no idea he was still wrestling. And they're like, you're going to tell me that Jean-Pierre Lafitte was in a battle royal. Like, no way. But, yeah, he was. I mean, it was PCO. And an, an invisible man won the battle royal. So that's even crazier. But, uh, <laughs> so, getting off topic is what I was doing. I, my, my apologies. But, um, no, it's all it – just let's roll, man. It's good. Dude, that's what it's about. Anyway, so, um, like we were saying, 1999, you signed this deal with WCW. Uh, it's a developmental deal. Um, and then you had another reunion of the extreme with a starling. It was, well, just out of nowhere. They were just like, yeah, let's, let's do it again. Another tag team run with you and a starling. Slightly wrong. Uh, me and the, the extreme with ACE actually happened just prior to me going back to, uh, prior, uh, it went me at, WCW first as a, a singles competitor. Then I went to ECW. Then back to WCW with Ace as the Extreme, which we were basically an enhancement tag team. Okay. okay. Which didn't last long. Then I did the light heavyweight thing with WWE, which was then followed by me and Ace teaming there. Okay. And then I went to WCW by, by myself again. So a lot of back and forth around my college schedule and and uh, physical. It's really hard to follow because there was so much going on in between school and stuff like that, but I just rolled with it. Where'd you go to school, by the way, so, college? Uh, I went to Kane U- University and then their physical therapy uh, program was at the University of Dentistry and Medicine of New Jersey. KU? Kane University. Kane University, okay. Well, K E A N and their Kane University. Yes. Wow, that's awesome. Well, I, I kind of popped for it because I thought it was you know Kane, like Glenn Jacobs. Oh no, K E A N. Okay, yes. K E A N. All right, very cool. Well, so you signed this developmental deal. Um, when did they give you the you know kind of thing where we want to use you as a character by Crowbar? Was was that was that your idea, or was that theirs? Who came up to you with that idea? They wanted. I, I was there for for a few months, and then that whole Time Warner thing went down, where they started real realizing we're spending a lot of money down there. A lot of guys are getting paid a lot of money, but and the ratings are going down. We're gonna have to cut some guys. So uh, we used to joke about it at at the power plant that the last person you wanted to see was the FedEx guy coming to your house because it was probably your release. Uh, Whoa. So we were all in the power plant. Well, myself, guys like me, Alan Funk, Mike Sanders, Sean O'Hare, uh, a few other, other guys there. And every day we were, it was just nerve-wracking because you weren't sure if you were going to get your walking papers or not. And uh, then the announcement came down that Vince Russo and – uh, his crew were coming in. Uh, more cuts were being made. Uh, but Jimmy Hart was going to be booking the Saturday, or he was booking the Saturday night show. He was coming down to look at talent. And if you weren't picked, it was it was said in a nonchalant way, you're probably going to get cut. Uh, it was a weird dynamic when I went down there. A lot of those guys, 
wasn't like now with like the internet and all that. You know, that wasn't out really. So I was doing indies up here, but they had a, a bunch of guys down there that just tried out and they were power plant guys. So I came down as an outsider and uh, they really had no idea that I had been doing this for years and years and years. And I show up and quite frankly, they hated me. Uh, they, they treated me like shit, uh, har harassed me. And I just want to keep my nose clean. Big nose, by the way. Want to keep it clean. Uh, and we come to this time where we're told you're going to have to do a show at the power plant uh, for Jimmy Hart. He's looking at talent for WCW Saturday night. And if you're not picked, you're probably getting cut. So one of the guys I had most of an issue with was Mike Sanders, who later on became the head of the Natural Born Thrillers. Uh, we hate we hate each other. Uh, we couldn't stand each other. And I uh, and I said, hell, I, I ain't going to let this happen. I, I, I actually use more colorful language inside of my brain here. But I go, uh, and I put Mike aside. I go, I don't effing like you. I know you don't effing like me. I go, you're talented. You can do a lot of great stuff. I know what I, I can do. We got to work together to try to save a job. We have to save our jobs collectively. So we need to put all this crap aside and go out there and really knock them dead. Uh, I don't know if I said knock them dead, but something like that, something in that genre. If it was today, I would say we got to go out there and kill it, but whatever. So we go out there, we have a great match. We kill ourselves and we end up going to Saturday night and our jobs are saved and we, and we become like great, great friends. So it's, uh, wow. and, and so I actually had about five or six matches on WCW Saturday night as Devin Storm, a more dark haired, more demonic looking Devin Storm. And, uh, and at the very end of it, before I became Crowbar, I got to work in the same night, both, both Booker T and Chris Benoit, which was just at that time an awesome experience. And it was at that time I had left the TV taping. Uh, they were prepping for Nitro or something like that. And I went to the hotel bar. And as it was told to me, I walked in to the bar. I actually wanted to go back to my room that night, but I, like, I decided to go get something to eat. I had my hair down. Uh, I had a leather jacket on and allegedly Vince Russo saw it and said, who is that guy? He has a really cool look, whatever. Uh, and then they came up with the idea to put me with David Flair. Crowbar was born. Wow. And it was basically David, great guy, humble guy. He knew his limitations, but uh, if you follow the history of it, as limited as he was in the ring, uh, when David Flair would go on the TV, they popped a rating. People were watching David Flair whack, whack people with a crowbar, stalk women, and all kinds of – they were into that aspect of whatever was going on. But when it yeah. came time for him to wrestle, uh, very limited. So they came up with the idea, we'll put him in a tag team. We'll let his partner do the – majority of the work and there's my break wow very cool <laughs> yeah and you mean so i owe him being a not so great worker for my break and he knew it and 
I had no, no idea what was going to go on. I figured Flair's son, he's probably really conceited or super nice guy. Loved working with him. He loved learning. Daphne was there, who's just a sweetheart. And we had such a good time together, the three of us. It was just great. And uh, uh, like teaming with Ace for all those years, it's a real highlight of my career. A whole lot of fun. But the vignettes we did were just stupid. They were so funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just enjoyed going to work. Yeah, uh, I will say the stuff you, that y'all did was just hilarious. Uh, David and, and Daphne both, and, and you, of course. Very, very good stuff. Uh, tell me about Daphne. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that she was really cool. Uh, have you seen her recently and what she's doing nowadays? Or I saw her at an autograph show a few years ago. Uh, she's great. We talk once in a while on, on, on the phone or on a Facebook. Just a genuine, just really good person i think she was super talented i i think she could have done a whole lot more uh just really just really, just really wasn't given the opportunity to uh i got a rescue mania but it's on a local budget i can't fly people in or else i, I would love to bring her in uh she's so talented but just uh just an awesome person you know just uh i enjoyed working with her i enjoyed teaching her you know uh i take responsibility for showing her how to do the frankensteiner uh, we worked on all that stuff, and that became an asset to my match. She used to pull that off here and there during my matches, and it was great for her, but it, it ultimately enhanced my match, and I thanked her for adding that to my match. People popped to see her go up this nut screaming and yelling with this mm -hmm. crazy hair, and Frank and Center people off the top rope. Uh, it was great for her, but it ultimately helped our whole shtick go. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Daphne is probably the one of the most unique women's wrestlers. Absolutely. And honestly... I different, think, so different. Yes, absolutely. Extremely underrated. I mean, yeah. nobody is... I mean, I don't know. She. I mean, I remember last she was in TNA and with, with Stevie Richards. I thought their thing was great with Raven. They kind of had that, you know, three the you know, three of them. And it kind of reminded me of what you guys were doing here in WCW. It was like the three of them. It was Stevie Raven. And, you know, Stevie's the guy at like a mental hospital. He's a, he's a doctor, Dr. Stevie Raven, you know, is love Raven. Raven's great. Uh, and then of course, Daphne, I think Daphne now is dealing with ring of honor. She's kind of one of the behind the scenes people with their women's division. I remember. I had no idea. Yeah. Like I said, I really don't follow it. That's awesome. Great. Yeah. Uh, really awesome. they, they have a women's championship now. As a matter of fact, at Supercard of Honor, they crowned the championship and like they turned off the lights and they had like a video package and like they turn it back on. And like at ringside, we see this somebody sitting in a chair and they're all like moving their, their head, waving and stuff. And they put the camera and it's like, it says Daphne. And I'm like, what? Oh, that's awesome. But she was there to crown the champion. Like she was there to give the title to the to uh, the new champion, which uh, became Sumi Sakai. Sumi Sakai won the title against um, I, I forget who she defeated. Anyways, but Sumi Sakai's modern day legend. Anyways, uh, what about David Flair? Tell me about David. What have you heard anything from David Flair nowadays? What is what is he? Doing? He's great. Uh, I loved working with him as uh, when we split up. You know, like I said, just a humble, good dude, just wanted to learn, just happy to be out, out there. Uh, and uh, I really don't keep in 
in contact with them. Like we worked well together, but it, it he just wasn't one of those guys that you bonded with, and and I, I, I like forged that friendship with. Whenever I see him, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just really don't keep in like any kind of contact with them. Okay, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. I see. Um, there, no heat at all. Just we. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just yeah. Absolutely. I mean, his his sister is doing phenomenal right now. I mean, yes. Oh, she's um, awesome. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so on a January third, two thousand edition of Nitro, uh, you have a major accomplishment in your wrestling career. You win the tag team titles with David Flair. Um, tell me about that. What was that decision made uh, to make you guys tag team champions? I had my character about a week or two tops, and then they invite me. Uh, they invite me. They, I get my booking thing for that date, and I go and I get to the building, and they tell me that Chris Ford, the uh, wrestling fan since he's a kid, just never expected to be there in the first place. <laughs> Nevertheless, you know, during college and then finally there full time, blew my mind in the first place to have a character, not just be. Devin's sort of given a character to be on, on the main show, and then I'm going to win a tag straps, which was just mind-blowing. It's yeah. And people say, oh, it's just no big deal. It's a business. No way. If it doesn't affect you, then you're just lying. You just stop. Stop. Stop lying. Stop. It, 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 it was awesome, yeah. and I got back to my room, and the first call was, honestly, the first call I got from it was Ace, just congratulating me, saying it's so awesome to see that my best friend won the tag belts, and it's just awesome. It was my first call, and he's just an awesome dude. And just now, it's still really not real that it happened, although it happened years and years ago. An unbelievable moment, didn't expect it to happen. And if anybody says they're not moved by something like that, they're lying. So it was really, really cool and un- un- unexpected. And they told me when I walked in, I'm like, well, what? What just you, you sure you got that right? So, who who told you? Uh, I believe it was Mike Tanay and Scott Hudson. Whoa. Tell me tell me about I this. had worn a champion shirt, you know, the brand, uh, to the sh- show and Mike Tanay goes, How'd how'd you know? I go, How'd I know what? Well you wore that shirt. Champion. I I what are you talking about? You're winning the tag shop. I go, get the hell out of here. No, I'm not. He goes, go to book and go look. Wow. And I still have, have that shirt faded as all hell, but I still have it. That's awesome. That is too cool. Tell me about Mike Tanay. Mike Tanay, you're awesome. I love Mike Tanay. I used to, whenever I could grab a lunch or a meal and catering with Mike, we would talk. He's a real student of wrestling and he always did his job did what was asked of him and i just think he was never given an opportunity i think he's so smart i think he would have been an awesome creative guy he has great ideas and he he's a guy that gets how important strong work rate is but he also knows how character ties into that strong work rate and i would always consult with him saying, hey, I have to be this crazy character, but I don't want to leave behind entirely my work rate because I'm able to do X, Y, and Z, and I know some fans tune in to watch that. 
but I also have to do this. So I would bounce ideas off of him on how do you think I could do this and have it work with how can I be this nut, but also make these moves that usually would not go with this nut fit and work as a character. And he was a great sounding board, gave her a lot of great advice. And he actually took a lot of time and just brainstormed how we could make this work. And, and, and he really was responsible for a lot of my uh, success here or having a crazy, for lack of a better word, like really outlandish gimmick, but still working. And I also threw a lot of ideas past Kevin Eck, who also uh, like worked for WWE Magazine, at uh, WCW Magazine at, at the time. Him and Mike Tenet were, were really my two sounding boards and guys that I would really shoot ideas off of, you know, for stuff like this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up with Mike Tenet on the commentary table listening. One of the best. Oh, one of the yeah, absolutely. And I've I've done commentary several times, and it's just like there he I've heard from Jesse Neal. Jesse Neal wrestled in TNA um, in the later years, um, and he was telling me that Mike Tenay gave him advice about like you know whenever you're in there and we're talking about something else, that means you're not doing enough. We got to have something to talk about, and he was—he yeah. just said that Mike today just gave so much great advice. Uh, I would love to meet Mike today one day. I think I think he's just definitely one of the best in the company. The guy who really, guy who really took his job seriously. You know, like, like, like he got there, he would find a talent, he would ask, "What are you planning to do?" and and he would take notes, and he would do his best. If you go back and watch some of those WCW Saturday nights when Scott Hudson and Mike today are doing it. I mean, just outstanding jobs. They, they, there's no dead time. I mean, they really cover stuff and it's, they got with each and every, every talent and said, what are you doing? And how, what can I say, say to make this sound better? And they, they didn't just show up and just do it. They showed up and they put their all, they actually had respect for their job and they, they put an effort in. Definitely. Well, speaking of commentary, I know Sonny Touche asked you this question earlier today, and he asked it before in the interview, and he asked it again. I have to ask you, uh, a while back you were on commentary with WCW a couple times, and you did a Gordon Soley impersonation. He wants to hear it really bad. I kind of really want to hear it really bad, too. Can you give me your Gordon Soley impersonation? Ah, ah, Help from the back, please. (laughs) That came off just like... uh... I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, David Flair was going out there, I think, for a match against the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea. And uh, ah. they, said, they said, Crowbar, you're going to do commentary. All right. Uh, how? And they start brainstorming. So the whole conversation went like this. Uh, you're crazy, but you know how to do – Northern Light suplexes and flipping leg drops and all this stuff. Where you're like Rain Man, you're a student of wrestling, and that's how you were able to transition from the gas station to the wrestling ring, and you're so successful at it. So, being a student of wrestling, what it wouldn't it be funny as hell if you imitated Gordon Soley? And I said, "All right," <laughs> and there you go. That's how that came about. Because I really had no idea. I said, how do you want me to work this? Do you want me to 
be crazy, be screaming, be yelling. Crowbars ever grabbed a stick. You're Rain Man. And that's why. That's how you transition from the gas station into the ring. That's how you know these moves. Uh, and you, you're going to call it like Gordon. All right. That's too cool. I could do that. <laughs> that's awesome. This is fun, man. It was yeah. just a lot of fun. Absolutely. Do you have any other uh, great wrestling impersonations? No, I really – I'm not an impression guy, really? unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, eventually you end up losing the tag team titles uh, to the Mama That's happens sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever you want, you got to lose it. Unless you vacate it. I mean, yeah, you, you never lost it. Uh, you lose the titles to the Mama Lukes, the team of Vito and Johnny the Bull – also yes. known as Relic, whenever he was in TNA. Uh, shout out to shout out to Big Vito Gossi. He he just came out with a movie. I don't know if you heard, but the church. No. Yeah, he's he's in a movie. He's an actor now. Really? Yeah, uh, I was talking to him the other night about his movie. He, he likes he like. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, it's a horror film too. Perfect for October. He's doing a bunch of screenings and whatever. It's great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I gotta check it out for sure. Absolutely. Uh. So I mean, he was, he was. Those guys are former FBI members. Uh, what was your experiences with Vito and uh, Johnny the Bull? I had known Vito. Uh, I had known Vito from the East Coast. You know, he was an East yeah. uh, League East Coast guy, Skullbon Cross, and uh, and then we start working down there, and we were married to each other for about like a good month and a half, and that was really uh, my first skit as Crowbar was at the gas station where I. Like beat up the misfits and vampiro with a pipe, you know. So that was that. That was like my first real experience of going from being an in-ring character. Actually, you're shooting a, a vignette now. All right, that's usually just for like characters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you shoot a vignette. So then, via this feud with the uh, Mamelukes, we break up a wedding. We we have a match backstage in a a parking garage. We do all this wacky stuff that's usually reserved for character guys, which was kind of really cool because it was really my first experience doing this. So that whole feud, it really opened a lot of doors for me to do things that I previously had not done. Uh, it was a whole lot of fun, and it really opened doors to that aspect of the business that really you only get to do if you're, you know, you're not just a cruiserweight guy, you know, which that's that's what I was previously was just a guy doing moves and being fancy and stuff. Very, very cool. Well, so we fast forward a little bit, and there's a Cruiserweight Championship match. It's Daphne versus Sonny, or at the time in WCW, she was Tammy Lynn Sitch. Um, anyway, so they have a Cruiserweight Championship match. You accompany Daphne to the ring, and Chris Candido accompanies Sonny. Uh, and they have a match. She ends up pinning uh, Chris Candido. Right. I'm. I'm actually not even sure. I think it was a. I think it was like a tag match, but the cruiserweight belt was up. Oh, okay, okay. And I think she pinned Chris Candido. I think, and we collectively fight over the cruiserweight belt. Yeah. Somehow, I. I even. I honestly forget the exact dynamic. It was so crazy. It was, it was so bad. It was so bad. It was definitely. But, uh, uh, and so we're fighting over the cruiserweight belt, which I thought was funny. And then shortly thereafter, we do a tag match where Chris ends up 
no, we have a singles match against each other where Candido runs in, gives me a pile driver on a chair, and Daphne's shaking me to wake me up, but the referee's counting that as her covering me, and that becomes the pin. And she beats me for the cruiserweight strap. But for all intents and purposes, and I do use it, I am a former WCW cruiserweight champion. There you go. From a certain point of view. And that WCW cruiserweight division was stacked. I mean, that's what inspired WWE to do the light heavyweights. And that's what inspired yeah. TNA to do the X division. I mean, that's that was the real birth of it all. Um, sure. Anyway, so you lose that title, and then it's kind of like, you know, Daphne, you know, they, they, they turn on you, you leave that faction. And was this around the time that the crowbar gimmick was changed a little bit? I was in limbo for a while. Uh, somewhere around there, they come up with an idea to make me into a 70s guy with Mike Awesome. I really never got it, but I did it, <laughs> uh, and I had fun with it. And that was just a really weird period where I had with the gimmick, but I would be used one week, not around for two or three. It was, I was really in transitional gimmick limbo. I love it called it. And at that time I like, I'd hang out at home and saying, they're probably gonna let me go because they don't know what they're doing with me. Uh, and then they transitioned that into a, uh, a feud with me and Terry, Terry Funk, which was awesome because uh i tell everybody growing up you know i started off watching wwe but when i became a more adult fan or like a later kid early teen fan uh one of my favorite matches was a new york knockout rick flair versus funk i quit match which i say that was a hardcore match before they were actually called hardcore matches and uh i was always a big fan of terry funk and me getting the to wrestle Terry Funk on Starcade, which was well, like essentially WCW's version of WrestleMania. Yeah, me getting to wrestle Terry for a belt was mind blowing. So that was kind of cool. Well, I kind of want to rewind just a little bit. So as okay, you, as I missed you, something there, I guess. As you transition into this new character, yes. which I kind of looked at it as the, like you were a pimp. Like, you came out – it was – I don't know, man. I, I loved it, though. They, they based it on uh, – there was an old SNL bit, the wild and crazy guy, Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, and they wanted me and Mike to do that, yet me and Mike weren't always together. Uh, I think it could have been really, really funny, but it just – it was kind of mishmash. I, I think we were an afterthought where if, if – they needed space. They kind of just threw it out there. But I played it off like a pimp. I, well, they gave me this hat. They gave me a dollar bill necklace, polyester pants, which were uncomfortable, itchy, and hot as hell to wrestle. And, oh, my God, they were terrible. Uh, these sunglasses. And they gave me a cane with an eight ball on it. So uh, I just made it my own, I guess. And I just... Let it flow. I like. I guess I was like some kind of a pimp. I guess, dude. Yeah, uh, I I took it as a pimp. I mean, you came out. You were like, <laughs> I love you. You're like walking around down the ramp, but like you would point at women. With a strut. Like, hey, call me. Call me. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought like that was hilarious. Um, 
Yeah, uh, and then you have a match with Vampiro. Vampiro returns, and fun fact, this match that you you know wrestled against Vampiro, this is where I first discovered you. Uh, really, I wow. was so I didn't really grow up watching WCW. I'm 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 a baby. I'm I'm very young. I'm just a little I'm just a little kid. You wouldn't even you wouldn't even believe it. But uh, I started uh, really dabbling into Vampiro. And I'm a huge Vampiro fan. Like, Vampiro is in, like, my top five. Uh, just everything about his character and just how he's a Canadian kid transferring to Mexico. I thought that was very cool. But then I discovered a match between Vampiro and Crowbar. And, like, I watched it. And, like, he, here comes a pimp. And he's, like, coming out, like, hey, call me, call me. And, like, Vampiro returns. And you guys have this crazy hardcore match. And he throws you off this set. Under some tape. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it was an opportunity because I was doing this crazy pimp 70s gimmick, and uh, I did it, and I had fun with it. I did it to the best of my ability, but my heart wasn't in, in it, and I was just doing a lot of goofy stuff. If you had, I, I love to work. I love to wrestle. I love to wrestle hard, uh, and then they came up. They said, you're working with Vamp tonight, so do your gimmick, but once the match starts, you, you could do what you normally do. Yes. So I'm out there, and I get to work the match the way I normally would. I'm just wearing uh, pimp gear. Yeah. I'm doing my normal match uh, in polyester. Yeah, I actually shared the match on the page uh, just so people can see it because I, I just thought it was great, just the whole the whole spot at the end or whatever. You, I mean, that was a – pretty big structure. It wasn't like production tables or gimmick production tables. And he just threw you off this big stage type thing. And yeah, there it is. Vampiro's back. Um, anyway, so, uh, it's, it's around this time where you start chasing the hardcore championship and you eventually win that hardcore championship, which is right behind you. Yes. Actually a larger version of the one I tried behind me, but yes. Well, can, can, can we see it? Sure. Oh, hey, there it is. It's pretty shiny. I didn't realize it was that. Yeah. I thought it was like pretty matte. It's three quarter scale. Okay, I see. Uh, I always, I don't know if that's on the legit version, but I remember there being like a shovel. And it's like, yeah, a there's shovel a shovel in there. Crushed. Yes. Was a shovel even yeah. used in a hardcore match in WCW? I never have, but they, they use a lot of stuff in those matches. I mean, and I will say this, I'm not a fan of that kind of hardcore. And I always voice that too. I think hardcore uh, is using things that normally happen to be at ringside. I hated, let's put a bunch of crap out here in, in the garbage can. Let's put shovels and hockey sticks and golf clubs and Nintendos and bottles and whatever and we'll let the music and weapons to me hardcore is there's a wire going to one of the speakers use that as a weapon pulling the mat up so that you slam somebody on the floor instead of a mat that's hardcore the announcer's table that just happens to be there that's hardcore as 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 opposed to pulling a table out that's placed there that's for no reason whatsoever, using a chair, using the guardrail, using the bell. I think hardcore is using objects that would naturally occur there. That's how I prefer it. I did their style, of course. That's what I was asked, asked to do. But uh, 
when I see a good street fight, a good hardcore type match, I think you should just use things that are normally found at ringside. I, I, I think, you know, like we talk about having fun and gimmicks and characters, uh, but usually the viewer that watches that kind of a match is a more adult viewer, a more uh, like a like a teenager, somebody in their twenties and their thirties. And if you want to, in my opinion, this and what do I know? Once again, uh, if you wanted to deliver to that person what they want to see, uh, they want to see the violence, they want to see the craziness. But there should be reality there too. You know, if you have uh, a garbage can at ringside. If you're setting up an arena for a sporting event and you want it to look aesthetically pleasing yeah. to a crowd at the arena and the crowd at home, you're not going to have a garbage can there. You're just not. It doesn't belong there. That's not hard. For, it, it's, it looks set up. It looks phony. But there's an announcer's table. There's a wire that might be going to a speaker or a, a microphone wire in, in the days before the wireless mics. But, you know, there's wires out there for lighting and stuff. There's mats. Uh uh, taking a turnbuckle pad off. There's a bell out there. There's guardrails. You unhook a guardrail. You use that. That's that's my vision. Not that it's right or wrong, but I do think that when you're doing a match like that, you're appealing to a certain population. And when you start just laying weapons out there, I the, I think it makes it less realistic. But what do I know? <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, like. Whenever I was younger, I was like, the more trash cans filled with Nintendos and hockey sticks, the better. The older I get, I totally agree. I mean, like, the best hardcore matches whenever there is nothing there. And, I mean, you have your natural stuff. Like, there's a stage with a bunch of truss beams, lights, and rigging. And then there's, there's an announce table. And then there's a bell. There's a, there's a barricade. There's even, a, you know, arena that you're doing this in that has trash cans in it and and stuff all around. I mean, there, there's stuff hidden everywhere. But not placed out there. Say, right. use me. No. I, I, I think it looks more organic when you just use stuff that's there. Yeah. Absolutely. Take it off your own wrist tape and yeah. use it to choke a guy. Very. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's what hardcore. If, you be. know, like I said, if you're going to do that kind of a match, that genre of a match, I, I think you need it. Oh. I prefer when it's done like that. Right. Uh, so we were talking about that Terry Funk uh, match that you had at Starcade. Um, how hard does Terry Funk hit? Uh, you feel it, but he's so professional. I mean, when he swings a chair, you're going to feel it. And that was back before this whole concussion thing. You know, you just – you just took it. You, you took it in the back. You took it in the head, and it had to look good. I mean, if you you, you want to get off on, on that whole topic, too, I mean, that was very popular at that point in time where you would take the headshots from the chair. Uh, it started in ECW, and it evolved up through the attitude error, and it continued, and we did it. Uh, you have to be an idiot not to know that that's not good for you. So I, I really don't get the concussion lawsuit. That's just between, that's just me being real. Uh, oh, what's it's not good for me? Oh, hell, I didn't know. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Oh. I mean, but there's a lot of guys involved in that, and I respect them, and that's their opinion. But my opinion of it is 
you, you know, getting whacked in the skull with a chair is not good. Come on. Can we, so, I mean, but so stuff was laid in so that you felt it and it had to look good. And it, it was just something you did. It, it was how it's a very popular term you hear. It's, it's an overuser, but sign of the times. And at that time, that's just what you did. People didn't know better. Uh, actually, we did know better, but that, that was part of the, it's just what you did for the business. That's how you performed. That was popular. That's what you did to get over. And if ultimately, if that's what you did to get over, that's your choice. You know, uh, you could all always say, Hey, hit me in the back, but we were all trying to get over. We were all trying to be that guy. And, you know, so we, we just put our body in harm's way, but, uh, it was our own choice. Uh, very, very good standpoint on that. I really like that. Um, so after you do the smash with Terry, uh, eventually 2001, uh, you get released by WCW. Mm-hmm. And then WCW shortly gets bought out by mm-hmm. WWF. Uh, and then there's this whole thing where WWF decides to take some of the guys from WCW and then like the rest, uh, I forget really what kind of what went down, but uh, a lot of them are offered. Well, I believe they were offered jobs at TNA, correct? Uh, some were, but I mean, in like, the short term, I will say this, and I'll thank WWE or whoever was responsible for it at the time. I know Kevin Kelly had something to do with it, and whoever else approved it. I I had a dark match during that time. I was released from WCW. Mm-hmm. I was not employed by WWE, but I was granted a dark match at Madison Square Garden. Got to wrestle at the Garden. Uh, was not offered a job because of it. I did very well, and I'm not blowing smoke up my own behind. Got a great reaction. Uh, people say that Vince always says, if you can make it at the Garden, you can make it anywhere. That's a test. I got a great reaction. Did not get picked up, which is fine, but I got to wrestle at the freaking Garden, and that was... Uh, Still something to this day I'm so grateful for, so happy about. And uh, then from there, there was an independent promotion that opened up overseas that did uh, independent shows called WWWA. And they did a few pay-per-views that were not watched too much, but they had a really good crew of former WWE and uh, WCW guys. This was just prior to TNA. Uh, and probably one of my favorite matches, you could find a YouTube link for it out there, was me and Sabu in a cage from Melbourne, Australia. And uh, honestly, I will put that cage match up against any cage match at that time. Uh, it, it was pretty insane. We did a lot of stunts. Uh, unfortunately, it just wasn't a, a very widely watched pay-per-view. But I, uh, I encourage you to go find Crowbar and Sabu in a cage from the WWA pay-per-view, it was pretty cool. Uh, really intense cage match. We used naturally occurring weapons. No stuff planted. We There was fire, there was tables, there was guardrails, and all kinds of fun stuff. So uh, check it out. Uh, and then from there, we went to TNA. Yes. Uh, right after this interview, I'm actually going to find it, and I'm going to share it on this page. I'll tag you okay. whatever. Uh, because I want to go watch that really bad right now. Awesome. Anyway, so who gave you the call to go to TNA? Uh, a lot of the people involved with 
the WWA tours were also involved with TNA, Bob Ryder, Jeremy Borash. And so they brought a, a lot of the guys that were involved with that WWA tour ended up going to TNA, AJ Styles, myself, uh, so on. So, so I, I just can't recall all the talent that was there at that time, but I know a lot of talent that was involved with those tours also uh, was involved with TNA because Jeremy Borash was involved with both and they kind of coordinated around each other's schedule at that time. Right. Uh, were you called or mentioned to be a part of uh, Jimmy Hart's XWF? Yes, I had uh, um a match there against the wall and the wall! Against, uh, <laughs> Kevin Northcutt. Oh my God. The wall. The wall kidding? was actually one of my favorite parts of WCW where we did some wild stunts. <laughs> and uh, there's actually, if you go on YouTube, there's one thing we did where he tossed me off the side of the, uh, announced platform it was like a like 15 or 18 foot drop but the more impressive bump i'm waiting for it to come up on the network we had a singles match on thunder and they haven't quite gotten up to our time yet but he literally hooked me in a choke slam on the apron and it's a little fun fact there me and him started off at mike sharp school so we started off at mike sharp school together and then i end up on national TV together was just an awesome thing. He's a real, real great guy. Gone way too soon. Sweetheart of a guy. Love him to death. Miss him. Uh, so he throttles me on the apron. And I know we've all seen Shane McMahon get grabbed from the top turnbuckle and thrown through the announce table. So it looks like a choke slam. Mm -hmm. He throttles me, grabs me on the waistline of my pants. We both go down. And both of us simultaneously jump off of the apron, travel seven feet out, and he puts me through the announce table. The instant replay of this is sick. Uh, it's not anywhere on the internet yet. Uh, when it comes up on Thunder, you got to watch this. It was a sick bump. I watch it now, and I say, I will never, ever freaking do it. What the hell was wrong with me? It was that insane looking. Uh, I was really, I was just trying to get over, but a really stupid bump to agree to. <laughs> but it looked awesome and it ended up being safe but you watch it and so much could just could have gone wrong so much could have gone wrong but it really was uh an exciting thing and to actually see it they showed it from multiple angles and it was just i'll put that bump up against anybody's bump it was pretty sick that's all awesome. just saying just saying <laughs> uh, the reason why I freaked out whenever you said the wall is because I, I listened to a, a podcast called Attitude Era Podcast, and yes. I was a big fan of XWF, and I just thought like it was just a hidden gem that no one talks about. Like this was honestly like this so was, much potential just didn't get picked up, dude. Yep. This was WCW right after WCW. This was TNA right before TNA. Yep, everybody right there. And it only had a couple episodes. All of a roster. Yep. Taped in Orlando Studios. This was TNA. Like I said, WCW after WCW, TNA before TNA. Like, yeah. And you had Jimmy Hart running in. And then, you know, I love the whole thing with Willie Nelson and uh, G uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And, like, he's interviewing him. He's like, what does Willie Nelson think about America? I love America. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of that. But he did an interview with Jimmy uh, – 
w- Willie Nelson and his tour bus, and it's like you cut to Hacksaw outside of the tour bus. Hey, let's see what uh, let's see what Willie thinks about America. I love America. Let's see what he thinks about the troops. I love our troops. What do you think about wrestling? I love pro wrestling. <laughs> it's it's so weird. Great, but he, he goes on a rant about America and standing up for freedom and, and professional wrestling, and it's the most hacksaw Jim Duggan thing ever. And it's in Willie Nelson's tour bus, and you can imagine what's going on in there. So tremendous. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like you said, it had so much potential, and it just it's like they went to the te- these television producers, and they were they were just like, oh, you got Hulk Hogan. Well. Not so much. Uh, he's going to be doing something else at WWE or something. I forget what Hogan was doing. Going to New Japan. I don't know. And they were like, oh, we got this guy. No, you know, whatever. But the reason why I freaked out whenever he said the wall is because on this podcast, they covered XWF. I was a huge fan of XWF. But they kept mentioning the wall. And every time they would say the wall, they would freak out. They would go, the wall. And they were like, all right, so there's a promo. And it's outside, and you cut to a building, and on top of the building, it's the wall, and like the wall is on top of a building. I don't know if you remember that, but yes, like the wall is on top of a building, and they're like, "What is the?" It was wall? all around the wall. The wall was wreaking havoc. The wall. <laughs> I think it's a great name, the wall. Yeah, the wall. It's like a, it's like an offensive lineman type thing. The wall. Um. Anyway, so. TNA, you go to TNA, and when did they tell you that you were going to be used in, uh, shout out to Jim Mitchell, uh, James Mitchell's uh, little faction, the Dark Church? They tell me, uh, I first do that, uh, with that Battle Royal thing, the first pay-per-view, then they bring me in as, with the new church thing, uh, for like two weeks or so, and then, uh, they tell me, and here's really where you transition from wrestling life to real life uh i i was working full-time for a physical therapy company at the time hell south uh i bought a house i had like i said got settled down making good money and so tna is brand new uh they're not paying the guys nothing and that's fine i uh, i was more than happy to come down to help them get a to really get going. I was happy for the opportunity to go down there and work. But they go, uh, yeah, uh, we're on a really tight budget. We need you to move down here. And uh, it's 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 going to be the same pay, which is almost nothing. And But we really just can't can't afford to fly in. So I, I said, I really can't do that i'm you know it's it's a brand new company you know the what the pay i i'm happy to fly in and just take whatever you guys can give me but i'm i'm not moving down there i go did i have a great job up here and that really was a moment where i had to make the choice uh am i gonna pursue pro wrestling stupidly or am i gonna start making real life decisions and say I just bought a house. I have a great job up here. Uh, this is what I went to college for. This is what I'm educated in. Or am I going to put all this on hold, risk losing all this, and pursue this promotion that's literally three or four weeks old? And I said, no, I just can't do that. And then from that point on, it stopped using me. Wow. Uh, you mentioned the Battle Royal in the first pay-per-view. Was that the one they mm-hmm. did in Alabama? The no, it was in uh, Tennessee. They had 
Ken Shamrock. I know Scott Hall was in it. Uh, they had to say, oh, it was kind of like a Royal Rumble type thing that crowned a champion or a uh, number one contender or something. Huh. Okay. Okay. Um, was that? I'm, I'm trying to think because like they had a battle royal uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. And that was like their first episode. Like Toby Keith was there. Beep. Maybe that was it. That maybe it was Huntsville, Alabama. They had a big guy named Cheeks. I know that. Oh my God! I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they had cheeks. I do know they had a big guy named Cheeks. He I'll had, tell you that he had a squash. I, vivid, I know Cheeks was on the first show, as well as the Johnsons. Yes, and the Dup, the Dup uh, brothers, whatever. Um, Dup's Dup, but they had, they definitely had the Johnsons, and they definitely had a guy Cheeks. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I know that. Cheeks literally had a squash match with his opponent because he sat on him after the match. I think. And, you know, it's years later, and, and and nobody cares. Nobody takes it personally. But I flew in, and I saw the card, and I'm, and I'm sitting around saying, they're trying to get some – they're trying to get something going and freaking doing this. This, this is horrible. I didn't say that. I just, oh, oh, that's great. I love it. And I'm thinking, that's freaking terrible. What are you doing? But, and in hindsight, I think now when most people discuss that show, most people are inclined to agree with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's-, that's when I was young and I was trying to keep a job and I just didn't. And I cared and now I just don't care. Yeah, that was that was. Cheeks was definitely there, though. Cheeks, Cheeks. was there, and, and, and the, Johnson. the Johnsons were definitely there. They were definitely there too. Oh my god! Wow. Uh, yeah, that was. Because if I'm buying my kid a pay per view, I I'm gonna pay money so that my teenage kid can watch a team called the Johnsons. That's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, and and. The Dubs kept referring to their manager as like their sister. I think it was yeah. very, very, very strange. Yeah, but I mean, it, it the show had a good ending. I mean, it was Kinshaw. They Shaw. had the Johnsons. <laughs> Johnsons were on it. I'm telling you. Yeah, the Johnsons. Yes. the The ending was Ken Shamrock winning the NWA Championship in the Battle yes, Royal, and that was good. You were in that Battle Royal. I was in that Battle Royal. I forget who was in the office. God is my witness. I walked by the booking room and verbatim, somebody said, you have, you have Devin Storm here just doing a battle royal and those friggin' Johnsons are in a match. <laughs> and that kind of made me feel good. Whoever it was, thank you. That was a voice of reason, but uh, yeah. That was pretty funny. This is great inside stuff. Yeah. I'm hearing about this. Oh, it's great. Out of NWA TNA. This is this is amazing. Wow. Uh, yeah, and also Toby Keith performed. Uh, I love Toby Keith. Oh, big Toby Keith fan. Do you, I forgot it, the song that you mentioned earlier that he sang? Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. That's what he played. He yep. came out, played it acoustically, and during the song, probably the greatest heel move I've ever. Jarrett kicked over speaker or something pushed like him, that. Pushed he? him over to go to the ring. And yeah, boo! It was crazy, but uh, yeah. And then of course, Jarrett loses in the battle royal. Ken Shamrock wins. 
Toby Keith eliminated Jeff Jarrett in the Battle Royal. So, yeah, pretty cool. Well, I'm going to definitely go watch that Battle Royal again. I'm going to skip through the Johnsons and Cheeks and – you know, and I'm gonna watch that Battle Royal because I want to see you in it. I, I did not, I did not realize you were in that match. I think you should watch the Johnsons. I think you should watch Cheeks, <laughs> just for old time, just for nostalgia. Just to have, just to have a good laugh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. That there was, that's a, that, that, that was a bad omen from the get go. You knew it. Well, uh, but once again, rewinding what, 15, 20, 20 years, whatever that was. What did I know? <laughs> what do I know? 334. <laughs> Three, hashtag 334. Hashtag 334. Get it trending. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, you're wrestling as as, as Tempest, uh, not as Devin yeah. Storm with uh, the church. And you also were involved in the first and only Hard 10 tournament. It was a hardcore tournament the TNA put on. Uh, Sandman eventually won it. Um I will, I will give you a little bit more of inside terminology there that I got heat for. They originally wanted to call me Judas, which not a big deal, but I, I'm Catholic. I thought there was just kind of a bad karma with Judas. You already you had Sheik, you had the Johnsons, and now you're going to throw Judas out there. I said, ah, I'm really not comfortable with that. So uh, I suggested Tempest, which is another name for Storm. But they originally wanted me to be Judas. Well, there was a guy in the, uh, I don't know if it was, it wasn't the Dark Church. It might have been James Mitchell's other, like, form. Maybe it was the Gathering. I don't know. Cause Later on, he became Judas uh, with the Mexican guy. Yeah. Hey, yeah. But no. I was, uh, they originally wanted I go, I'm really not that comfortable with that. Can we change it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, I, I, was, I, was getting, I was getting mixed up. I was thinking about Julio De Niro, and I was thinking he was Judas Macias. No, I'm an idiot. Judas Macias is uh, Ricky Banderas. He's on, yes. on Lucha Underground. Yep. Days as, uh, yes. As Mil Mascaros, the man of a thousand deaths. Uh, no, sorry. No, no. Mil, Mil Mortes, man of a thousand deaths, I think. Once again, no no, no, no disrespect whatsoever. I know of it. I don't know. I haven't seen it. There you go. All right. Uh, so I know. heard it's awesome. I just yeah have not seen it. Absolutely, it is. It is great. Um, so you were in the you were in the hard ten tournament, and then after that, uh, when it looked like we wouldn't see you in TNA ever again, you show up in 2013, probably a decade later. Yeah. Uh, for one night only, Hardcore Justice 2. Yes. You were in, ironically, the way you started in DNA, in a Battle Royal. Yes. With, which Shark, Shark Boy won the Battle Royal. Yes. Or WCW guy. He hit somebody with a fish, I think. Really? Yes. Wow. He, he had like a giant fish, and that was his weapon of choice. I remember being backstage, and they were waiting for the fish to be delivered. One wondering if it was going to get there from a fish market, and they were in, in they were in in a panic because they're shooting the show and the fish had not arrived yet. A giant, wow. fresh fish. True story. Can't make it up, man. That is amazing. <laughs> we gotta have this fish. 
Yeah. Well, they had a fish market street fight years ago with Shark Shark Boy Curry Man. Curry Man was Christopher yeah. Daniels. And they, yes. They wrestled Team 3D in a fish market street fight. You want to talk about one wow. fish? There was like 30 fish on ice around the ring. I don't know if you yeah. ever seen that. Ridiculous. No, but it sounds. Uh, Dude. It sounds about right. Look it up. It's literally, it's like a bunch of fish on ice around the ring and like they hit each other with the fish. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, you had that match. Who called you to come back uh, to TNA for that one match? Uh, it, it was. I got two calls from Simon Diamond, my buddy, and Al Snow. And uh, it seemed like a really fun thing to do. I was still in shape. I was ready to go. And I said, yeah, let me go down there and uh, I'm going to have some fun. So we went down to the Battle Royal. I flew down with little Guido, good friend of mine. And uh, we did the Battle Royal. And then we went to the park all day. <laughs> you went to the park all day? Universal right there. Oh, oh. We left the city and went, yeah. We did our job and left. I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, I was – you must love him. He's already going to hang around and – and politics a little bit, uh, trying to get a job. I said, nah, I'll go hit some rides. I, I didn't even care. But it was it was great to do it. It was great being there. And then uh, and and I got a day in the park, which was awesome. I'm, I'm a huge kid, so I love that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was like, man, you must love amusement parks. I mean, hey, you're at TNA. Hey, you might as well go to Orlando Studios. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, after this, it's not like we really saw you on, like, the main stage of WWE and TNA. Uh, recently, WWE did a Where Are They Now with you. Uh, kind of put a highlight on, on you and kind of told the world how you are now a physical therapist. Who contacted you to do the Where Are They Now, if you remember? Howard Finkel. Really? Yeah, which is kind of cool. Big mark out moment because I, you know, grew up watching the Fink and just a great great guy and uh i said sure that sounds awesome let's do it did he call you yes tell me how the phone conversation went did he just say uh, hello <laughs> chris how are you this how i would fake from the world wrestling federation you know and he goes uh like he basically says how uh we're doing this thing called where are are they now and you know at that time you know there's there's more bad wrestling stories and there's good wrestling stories he goes we'd like to highlight yours because it's one of the few good wrestling stories i said that sounds awesome let's do it wow see i've i've heard whenever howard finkel calls you it's like he is in full announcer mode and he's like, yes he's a, he's so excited he he's howard finkel calls you howard finkel from the tv calls you yes yeah did, did he ever call you to give your uh, give your like talent information, like where you're going to be staying at and where you're going to be flying out of, whenever you're there? Uh, not that I recall. No. Okay, okay, because I've heard stories of him calling. It's like, hello, this is Howard Finkel, and he just goes on and like, you're going to be flying out of such and such airport on this time and this day. Uh, anyway. Well, so, I mean, recently you've been on the Indies. You've been, you know, like, like you said, you're, you're busy. You're a busy, busy, busy guy. All irons on the stove. I think yes. Uh, you were very busy, of course. You're a physical therapist. Um, and Rescue Mania. Rescue Mania 3 is going to be happening. And I'm... Rescue Mania 4, without question, is being organized as we speak. And we will sell out WrestleMania week. 
Stay tuned. Will do. And I'm, I'm actually thinking about traveling up there to the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. If I do, I will most definitely go to Rescue Mania. And we, we will draw exceptionally well with a bunch of non-indie darling talent. And we're going to have fans that react better than almost any other independent show out there because we're doing something that nobody else is doing. That's what it's about. I love it. Well, um, I don't know if there was any questions from anybody around. Uh, okay, well, hey, Andrew Anderson just asked you, me. You asked me because I, I, I have no line here to see nothing. Okay. I, uh, I don't get any comments at all. So Okay. Uh, Andrew Anderson asked, uh, he says, ask Crowbar about matches with Tokyo Monster for my NWA Big Apple. Stop putting over your own stuff. It's a, this is my time. Uh, I, I love working with Tokyo. He's great. Uh, if he happens to be up here that week, uh, you may very well see him at Rescue Mania. Who is I'm a big Tokyo? fan of. He, he is like, I really describe, he reminds me a lot of Muda. He has a very similar gear, mm-hmm. very similar look. I've always been a huge fan of the great. He is a modern great Muda. And if you're a smart fan or if you're a more serious fan, once all the garb comes off, he's going to give you a great match. But if you're there with your kids, his presence that he comes out with, which is what we, we discussed before, something you don't see with a lot of other talents. He has this pre- – Google his image, and with all his ring gear on, when he comes out, you can't help but not look at it. He grabs your attention. And that's one of those things that uh, – He's an ideal talent for a Rescue Mania show. We just, I run it like a business. Uh, our business plan uh, ensures that we draw well. Uh, so as much as I would love to have him as on a regular basis, I don't need to fly talent up to sell out. If he's up here, I mean, if he lived up here, he'd be on every show without question. I love the Tokyo monster. He's awesome. Uh, but I do have to run this like, you know, like a, a real business. So it's it's just not in the cards right now. If he happens to be up here for WrestleMania weekend, I would love to have him on the show. He's such a great character. Great person, too. Uh, I just love him outside the ring. He's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, Andrew also says he's a former NWA Triple Crown champion. Well, um... Man, Chris, I, I guess that I guess that does it, man. We we this 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 breaks the record. This breaks the record. This is the longest interview of the experience. Of course, just started doing the experience. Uh, it's kind of a, a new new venture here on uh, my interviewing uh, little stint. But uh, man, you have broken the record. I think we're going for two hours and thirty minutes strong. Wow. Yeah. We have a few good hashtags. We got hashtag three thirty four. Yeah. We have hashtag. What do I know? Yeah. Hashtag, and, hashtag Rescue Mania. Hashtag Rescue Mania, too. You can check out the Facebook page, Rescue Mania Wrestling, to keep up on what we're doing. And hashtag, how did the Johnsons get booked? You got Devin Storm right over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, how – no, it wasn't how, how did they get booked. I didn't, how are they in a match and – and Devin Storm is, is, is in a freaking battle royal. <laughs> okay, okay. That's it. So whoever said that, I'll never know, but thank you. 
I'm going to ask around. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find one of these days. I'm going to find out, and I'm, I'm going to let you know. But anyway, who, man. Who, who behind that booking door said it? I would love to know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up a phone book from Tennessee, and I'm going to find out Alabama. Cheeks was there, too. Call everybody. Cheeks was there. Do we know what was there, about the whereabouts of Cheeks? No. Who, who was? It was like a sumo wrestler? Or? I have no idea. I don't know. But I arrived at the arena, and I said, this isn't really starting off the way it should be starting off. <laughs> but what do I know? Well, what do I know? <laughs> 334. Uh, anyway, well, man, I guess that does it. What an interview it is. All right, man. Uh, definitely a record setter. And um, yeah, so those of you listening at home or watching at home, the audio file should be available probably within the next couple of days. But Chris, man, I thank you so much. for. So I will do my quick PSA that I always do in case any of the guys listen. I always get asked. Do it. In the locker room, do you have any advice? You cannot support yourself or a family on independent wrestling money. Stop lying. So if you are if you are going to pursue this crazy dream that I have and I still pursue, make sure you have something else. School, a trade, uh, do something else. Don't put all your eggs in this basket because even, even if you make it like I did, I was out there three years. I did okay. You don't make enough money to last you the rest of your life. And when you do independent wrestling, you're not making a living on it. Or at least you're not making a good living and you're not supporting your family. Do something else. Uh, I did it. And that was back before there was online courses. You can do so much online. In, in, instead of going out and getting banged up, do an on, online course or something before you go to bed and invest in yourself. Because if you do that, you could be 44 years old and empowered like I am to still pursue this stupid dream and you can still feed your family. So make sure you do something else. Seriously. It, that's, I try to drill that home into everybody's head and some guys get it. Some guys it goes in and out and it's, it's a great business uh, to have fun in. And I'm so passionate about it because I can be if, however, if I had to, depend on this business to feed my family i'd probably hate it so if you want to keep that passion if you want to keep that joy if you want to be empowered to treat this uh to be able to compete or perform in this business under your terms make sure you have something else it because that's just a that's a fact of life that nobody's going to tell you about and it's uh just do it man just make sure you do something else that is Great advice right there. Uh, those of you who are listening. You're not making a ton of indies. You're not making a ton of money on indies. You're not. Stop. Stop lying to me. <laughs> You're not. Great advice there. Uh, yeah, man. Well, what an interview it has been. I enjoyed every single bit of it. I hope you did too, man. Uh, before I let you go, anything else you would like to tell everybody at home? Uh just for all the people that followed me, I mean, I'm still a huge fan of this. Never expected to do 99% of anything that I got to do. I love it. I love the support. That's why I'm still here. Uh, still doing this because I, I enjoy it. Like I said before, there's no money in, in, in independent wrestling. I'm not doing it for the money. I do it because I love it. 
I, I love uh, giving guys that deserve uh, a platform to showcase what they could do, a place to do that, uh, support indie wrestling. Uh, and if, if I've shown anything, I've, sh I've shown that there is another market out there. Uh, New Jersey, New York, California, the South. Do some family-style family entertainment with guys that look like wrestlers and know how to entertain in addition to being good, solid athletes. But what do I know? Legendary. <laughs> Timeless. Ah, oh, what do I know? Hashtag 334. Hashtag he got the Johnsons booked. <laughs> you got to get Devin Storm in a battle royal. Cheeks. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, I guess that's it. Um, Let's check in again. This was a lot of fun. Hey, man. Tons of fun. I extremely enjoyed every bit of it. Very cool. And if I ever am up there in the New Jersey area, we're going to have lunch. I guarantee it. Absolutely. That'd be great. Absolutely. So Thanks, man. you enjoy the rest of your night. I hope I didn't keep you up too long. Nah, man. Thanks so much. All right, Take care. Have a great night. You have a great night, man. Night all. <laughs> all right. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that wonderful interview. I know we're pretty late in the evening or late in the night now. Don't go away, though, uh, because, you know, the experience train keeps on rolling. Like I tell you at the end of every episode, because October is coming up and we've got some big stuff planned here on the experience for the month of October. So just got to kind of let you and on what's going on what we have scheduled here on the experience for the month of October. And I'll let you know on what's going on right now. On September, sorry, I messed that up completely. September, no. Tuesday, October 2nd. To kick off the month of October, we're kicking it off with a bang. Former WWE superstar Shannon Moore. That's right, former WWE superstar, ECW superstar, WCW superstar, former TNA star, and ironically, he was a tag team partner of Jesse Neal, former guest on The Experience, Shannon Moore. That's right, the punk of rock and roll, or I forget what he called himself, the punk prince of rock and roll? I don't know. But Shannon Moore, former WWE superstar Shannon Moore, will be on the show Tuesday, October 2nd, Tuesday, October 2nd 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Then on Tuesday, October 9th, proud to bring to you current Lucha Underground star Cortez Castro, also known as Ricky Reyes. Uh, can't wait to bring him on. It's going to be great. Um, oh, and then on October 16th, it's Tuesday, October 16th, uh, going to bring on... A guy that not many of you know, of course a lot of you might know out there, but you're going to know a lot about him after this interview. It's Mr. Saturday Night, Michael Berry. I cannot wait to bring Michael Berry on. It's going to be great. It's Tuesday, October 16th, 7 p.m. And then on Tuesday, October 23rd, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, happy to bring on ECW legend, CW. Anderson. That's right. C.W. Anderson going to be coming on the show Tuesday, October 23rd. 
It's Tuesday, October 23rd, 7 p.m. Sunshine Time, former ECW star C.W. Anderson. And then to the, well, the grand finale of the month of October, we're doing a Halloween special, a Halloween spooktacular is what we're going to call it. Uh, Tuesday, October 30th, the night before Halloween, okay, Sin Bodhi. He's a big indie star. A lot of you remember him as WWE superstar Carzini. He had a short run with WWE, but he's making it big on the indies in Las Vegas and kind of that, you know, western circuit out there. So indie star Sin Bodhi, very, very crazy guy, will be joining me live right here for a Halloween special, a Halloween spooktacular episode of The Experience with Bryce Spooger. So yeah, what a lineup, what a exact lineup we got for you for October. Like I said, Shannon Moore is going to kick off the moth on the second. Then we got Ricky Reyes. Cortez Castro from Lucha Underground coming in on the 9th. Then it's Mr. Saturday Night, Michael Berry uh, on uh, the number, sorry, on uh, the 16th of October. And then on the 23rd of October, we got C.W. Anderson, former well, ECW legend. And then on October 30th, a Halloween spooktacular, former WWE superstar Carzini, also known as indie star Sin Bodhi. So there you go, guys. Um, We've got a big one for you. I hope you enjoy listening uh, to these great interviews on CastBox. If you're listening right now on CastBox, uh, I do greatly appreciate it. Go ahead and give this a like, and please subscribe to the Experience of Bryce Boudreaux's CastBox channel. And if you haven't even heard of CastBox and know what I'm talking about, go and download the CastBox app uh, and look up the Experience of Bryce Boudreaux. It's the audio form for all all of the podcasts and all of the interviews that I've done right here on the Experience of Bryce Boudreaux. Uh, I have an amazing production team helping me out with this, and and they they are doing a tremendous job. Shout out to Mikey O and uh, Ryan Keith. They're just doing a phenomenal job um, putting these into audio form. Uh, if you're listening, pleasure. And this is great. I mean, this is you can you can you can press play, start listening. Let's say you got to put it away. You got to go to work or something or. You got, you know, you got to go to class, or you're, you know, going to your house. I don't know. You know, people listen to your wrestling podcast, or you just want to pause. So you pause it, you close your phone, put it on lock, and you can open it up, and boom, you're back where you left off. You can even play it from locking your phone, aux cord. Great for those traveling, those long, long drives on the road. Um, but yeah, so we hope that you're enjoying CastBox, and if you haven't checked out the audio version of the experience, you should definitely do it. It totally is a game changer, and you're going to love the way it sounds. It's got a very cool intro, um, just very cool what we're doing on there on CastBox. So yeah, if you haven't done it yet, go and download the CastBox app. It's absolutely free. It's on iOS, Android, all that good stuff. And as well as this interview with Crowbar will be on CastBox. Um, for those of you on Facebook Live watching it now, and those of you on CastBox listening, video is available in the link in the, in the description to this interview. It's a great interview that it was. But yeah, um, so if you haven't done it yet, go and follow The Experience with Bryce Boudreaux on Instagram at The Experience Live. I believe that's it. I don't know. I don't even know the social media handles. I'm so bad. Um, It. All right, never mind. All right, okay, there it is. I have to read it off of a piece of paper. There it is. The Experience Live at the Experience Live on Instagram. Uh, 
and the experience with Bryce Bouge on Facebook. If you haven't done it yet, go and like and follow the page on Facebook at the experience with Bryce Boudreau on Facebook, uh, Instagram, the experience live, uh, at the experience live. Um, and then if you haven't done it yet, subscribe, like everything on Castbox. Go and listen to the interview with Tim Storm. Go and listen to the interview with Jake Manning, Shane Taylor, Jesse Neal. And if you're listening to this one with Crowbar, make sure you give it a thumbs up. And, uh, yeah, man, just just keep supporting the experience because the train doesn't stop rolling. Got a stack card for uh, October and November. <laughs> Can't tell you quite yet what we're doing with November, but November's going to be big. November's going to be big, as well as October. Anyways, guys, do appreciate you joining in and listening for this great episode of The Experience. I want to thank my guest, uh, Crowbar. Uh, he told some incredible stories. Um yeah so what a phenomenal show shout out to everybody that joined and tune in um we do appreciate all of your support of the experience and we're just going to keep the train rolling um it's going to be big it's going to be great going to be tremendous i can't wait it's going to be awesome all right next week shannon taylor <sighs> i just messed that up shane's not shane Shannon Moore, former WWE Superstar Shannon Moore. I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry. Former WWE Superstar Shannon Moore coming on next week. Don't forget it. Next week, October 2nd. It's going to be great. It's going to be huge. It's going to be amazing. You have to see it to believe it. It'll be great. I can't wait. All right, guys. I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. Good night. Goodbye. I've been your host this evening. Sorry. For Crowbar. I've been your host for this evening, Bryce Booger, hashtag answer, catch up here. Hashtag go right to left because it goes right to left. You already know what the deal is. Thank you and good night. You've been listening to The Experience with Bryce Boudreaux. Only the biggest and best names in professional wrestling interviewed right here on The Experience. Follow The Experience on Facebook at The Experience with Bryce Boudreaux.